Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the Genre Equality Podcast. I'm Hitzir. Howdy. I'm Aisa. Uh, hope you're all doing well in uh, self-imposed isolation. If you are uh, on lockdown or just stuck in quarantine, uh, hope everyone's doing okay, uh, watching good stuff. Yeah, um, please try to stay inside as much as possible unless absolutely necessary. Wash your hands. And wash your hands. That's true. But you know, on, on the plus side, right, it's given... Us here at Genre Equality, like, a lot of time to watch stuff and read things. <laughs> a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, I mean, a lot of the big topics we wanted to talk about this month, uh, Mulan, for example. Pushed. Like, pushed. A Quiet Place Part 2. Pushed. Also pushed. And not released, right? No, no. no. Um, certain movies are too big to be on VOD uh, because they just know that they're going to make too much money in the box office. Like Black Widow, for example. Mm. Uh, Wonder Woman 1984. Not bloodshot. Uh, not bloodshot. So so things like uh, the Invisible Man, uh, Greta and Hansel, mm. and Onward, and and bloodshot, and movies of that ilk have been released on VOD almost immediately. Okay, but for Invisible Man, they had already released it earlier. Yes, but it's yeah. only a one month run, like, which is quite oh, short. Oh, okay. So then the next generally month, it's a six month yeah, run yeah, before yeah. you can go to the VOD. VOD and yeah. and for bloodshot, it was only a one week run. One week run, mm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think towards the end of it, we'll be talking about like what. COVID-19 means for the cinema industry going yeah. forward because a lot of distributors have been experimenting just releasing the stuff online. Mm. Uh, will it be the death knell for theatrical cinema? releases? You I know, don't think so. You, you, I mean, we, we don't we know. Don't right? know we don't know. It la. really depends on how they control the virus in the end. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not talking about a virus. I'm talking about like, what if distributors now just realize that they don't need cinemas? You yeah, know? What if this well. experiment is successful? They're making billions of dollars just by buy, people buying on iTunes or Amazon Prime or whatever. Yeah, I know. I get that. But you see, the, the thing is, this is because it's extenuating circumstances, right? Yes, but it was yeah. already going this way and this yeah. virus just forced it to happen yeah. sooner. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that once we get back to work and once we get back to our regular scheduled programming, yeah. it might not be as lucrative. Lah. Though yeah. it might it might shift perceptions, lah, definitely. Correct, yeah. 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 Mm. Uh, anyways, uh, we'll be talking about a lot of stuff that, thank God, is available on VOD. No. V- no, I mean streaming, streaming, digital, and and good old TV lah. Yeah, that's happening. <laughs> uh, so a couple of the big topics that we are talking about is Steven Universe uh, yeah, future, finale, right? The final season. Series, series, yeah. finale. Um, of course, we'll be talking about the first ever season of uh, Picard. Mixed um, bag. Yes, uh, Castlevania third season is happening. Mm. Invisible Man, Altered Carbon, which I did not watch because I I was I I, I was out Mixed from the first also. season onwards. Yeah, so um. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and Isa is going to be covering the new Violet Evergarden movie, which mm. came out in Singapore theatres early this year, mm-hmm. but it's available tomorrow, if you're listening to this live. On Netflix? O- on Netflix, right? yeah. On yeah. April 2nd. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this will be this episode will be released on April 1st. Yeah, mm. Tomorrow, you can go watch it. It's not April Fool's. No, April Fool's, for real. The mm. Violet Evergarden Auto Memory Dolls. Auto Memory uh, Eternity and Automary. Yeah. It's a very long title, so I've yes. heard about it. Uh, <laughs> and, and yeah, we, we, let, let's begin with the final season of uh, Steven Universe mm. Future. Um, Hadi is not. Nope. A, I mean, he's watching Steven Universe, but he hasn't I caught up to the end. I haven't caught up all now. the way to the end, yeah. Yes. Well, I'm curious, where are you at at the moment? Season 2. Ooh, wow, okay. How Quite many a bit, seasons? Five? Episode 6. 6 seasons. 6 plus a movie. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. very short. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's yeah. an easy, easy kind um, of watch. 10 minutes per episode, you know, and mm. all that, yeah. Um, I've got no time. No, fine. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, Hadi is the one of us who actually still has like a job. Yep. Because yeah. of this, because the rest of us are freelancers, and you know, like, uh, gigs have just gone to hell, mm-hmm. especially for people who work in events and music mm-hmm. and things like yeah. that. Uh, Hadi is an insurance agent, mm-hmm. and if any time people in insurance is now, <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so I've been busy. So some people have been seeing a boom, and and others not so much. 
different industries. Right? Different industries. Yeah. But anyways, the the sixth and final season of uh, Steven Universe is called Steven Universe Future. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is uh, built as an epilogue, and uh, I think it is fitting to be built as an epilogue because it really isn't like any other previous seasons of Steven Universe. Yeah, absolutely. So Rebecca Sugar ends her very kind and brave cartoon with uh, with this epilogue season that explores the emotional aftermath of heroic optimism and intergalactic peace. Mm-hmm. Um, these last ten episodes in Steven Universe Future as a whole has followed. The sweet boy growing up into a confused young man, um, and and with no villains to fight, the series forgoes action to dig deep into the issues that Stephen has come to terms with emotionally yep. and even physically before he can truly uh, have his happily ever after. Mm. So yes, the world and the galaxy has been reformed thanks to his kindness and adventures, uh, but you know he has repressed trauma from his past. Uh, adventures and anger at his mother's legacy. Oh, yeah. um, negative aspects of the ever positive Stephen uh, that he has kept bottled up, I guess. Uh, mm. Plus, he has to also grapple with the idea that his friends are moving on. Uh, nobody quite quote unquote needs Stephen anymore, and, and Stephen's abandonment issues and insecurities are at full bore here. Yeah. Uh, it causes him to spiral to self doubts, and and the series has this gorgeously intuitive way to guide him out of it. It's it's quite heady stuff for for kids, cartoon. <laughs> um, but it's also typically ambitious for a Steven Universe arc, uh, mm. and therefore, I guess, um, a fitting emotional arc to end on, um, even if watching it wind down uh, makes its departure more bittersweet. Uh. Um, yep. so, so what do you think about Steven Universe Future? I mean, you know I've been a big fan of this like since... Like three years ago when we started this, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, and um, just generally, it's it's a little sad to kind of see it go. I mean, like Steven Universe is responsible for some of the most um, well, not iconic, but some really really great music, mm. right? Uh, that is seen in animation anywhere, right? Uh, I think Rebecca Sugar and her team have done a phenomenal job, and they've kind of st- stuck to their guns. Like I was just uh, reading, kind of. Uh, the interviews that she recently did, um, you know, about the end of the series and all of that. And then uh, I went back to reread some of uh, the early interviews that she did when um, Steven Universe started picking up traction online yeah. and all of that. Uh, it's amazing to th- to think that some such a great piece of work has came out of Tumblr, basically. Of course, yeah. <laughs> right? A lot uh, of great pieces of, of work has come out from online. Yeah. You're yeah, just yeah, living in that time. You know, but for, for it to kind of like... Um, supersede and uh, outlast the platform in which it sure <laughs> you know, it's, it's just something that it makes Cartoon Network almost feel archaic uh, oh, oh yeah extremely yeah. I think the format in which they've chosen to go about it and even the choices that they've made with yeah. you know um, uh, the way they spaced out the seasons the short episodes the movie itself and mm. finally now coming down to um, future itself right um, it's very it's been very cogent despite the different ways that they've gone about it mm. and uh, it's a it's a fitting end yeah, this has been the most different season, I think. It's yeah. A, it's a bit more emotionally complex, less action-driven, mm. uh, and very painful at, at looking how a maturing Steven handles his adult life and relationships. Yeah. Uh, the new society has helped shape how does that affect them, you know, how does that affect the world. A lot yeah. of people end on a happy ending, but, but then, you yeah. know, there are feeling pains to basically having a new world order. Yeah. So what happens in ever, Happily Ever After, right? Yeah, and, and also like its its internal themes of empathy and identity and mental health uh, has always been illustrated through the inventiveness of animation and science fiction otherworldliness. Mm. Yep. But this really felt like prestige drama kind of like let's sit down and what's wrong with you kind of thing. It's fascinating. It's more real. Uh. It, it really, really does because I don't think um, 
after watching the movie, right? And we've we've talked about that as well. Like I didn't think that they would do mm. one more. Like that was before Rebecca Sugar came out and said they were going to be doing um, Future. Yeah. Uh, but the form in which Future thing is is altogether really really. It took me by surprise. Yeah. It yeah. really really did. I mean, I mean, sometimes it's expressed through like. Uh, fantastical episodes like like trippy episodes like for example the Camp Pining Hearts episode mm. is expressed through fan fiction yep. really enough <laughs> like some, some of his um, uh, issues are exp- explored through that but other times it's jarringly grounded like episodes when uh, Connie's mom who is a doctor examines Stephen and diagnoses the many traumatic injuries he's mm. had over the years yep. uh, and despite the fact that his gem powers heal him immediately those horrific broken bones and near death experiences must have a profound effect if, yeah. on a child's yeah, psyche exactly. And, and physically enduring trauma is one thing, but emotionally healing is is something completely different. And, and just because Steven saved the universe doesn't mean that he has the tools to save himself. And, mm. and I love that the show did this. It's something that even most adult shows don't address. Yeah. And, and Steven reacts to minor stresses in the same way that he reacts to universe-ending events because that's all he knows. Yeah. And when his support structure is taken away, yeah. uh, Steven struggles. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just, okay, and this is something that I was kind of thinking about um, while I was watching Future. It's like, I don't think enough time has passed, right, for kids who started watching Steven Universe mm. to hit the age whereby they would be able to connect with a with, uh, young teen. Yeah, this is like definitely hello stuff. Yeah, know? Like, it should right? be years after. Uh, yeah. So, to, to what end does that, does that what, what kind of effect does that have, right, for kids to kind of like, who, who have followed through all of that, maybe, you know, they're in their early teens and kind of like... Still going 12, 13, me. Yeah, yeah tweens, right? Tweens. tweens and um, future is much, much more adult than that. You yeah, know? The, uh, a few years, three years jumped between the last season and the movie and then a few months after that. Yeah. So he's like 16 now. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's it, I think it's clear for us adults who have been really into it. Um, or who've experienced being 13 and then 16. Yeah, yeah, right? And you have all these things where, where we are kind of reflecting on, on that and like our... Our, I mean, the whole entire um, arc of of Stephen as and his adventures as an adult for growing up, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like we can reflect and we can see and we can connect with these things. I'm just curious because it's not like you know you kind of grow up with it. It's not like Toy Story, for example, yes, where you basically yeah. grew up with that and then you deal with those adult themes as you are much much older. Yeah, like ten year differences between Toy Story movies. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, it's curious. Um, I'm I'm just kind of wondering because my my nephew has started watching Steven Universe. Mm, like how's he just gonna started. deal with? Future. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I'm curious to kind of see, you know, whether he can connect with that and, and so on and so forth. I mean, like, Steven Universe has, is groundbreaking. Mm. It really, really is. And I think, like, now at its end, we can look back and say, like, it. Uh, a lot of the new things that people are trying to do in animation as far as, like, um, representation in, in kids' uh, media... Mm. Uh, Shira, it, for example. Yeah, Shira is a yeah. great example. Also, a great series. Yeah. I have to say. I mean, not as great as Steven Universe, but clearly influenced by it. Yeah. Um. Definitely, like Head and Shoulders. Steven Universe Head and Shoulders above anything else that we have right at the moment. But so much of the complexity that they're building in, they have built into the world itself. Right. Um. Has given people like uh, um shown the potential and the promise that you can have mm. good quality children's animation that deals very with deep issues. Yeah, I mean, of course, credit has to be given to Adventure Time where a lot of Steven Universe uh, creators came from. Mm, yes, and absolutely. Adventure Time kind of did it a bit before Steven Universe, but just never in the the depth that Steven Universe did mm, it. Like. But I mean, you know, one of the catalysts for it, like, it's like the Sopranos of, yeah. <laughs> of 
children's cartoon yeah. and I feel like I really feel like Adventure Time is the Sopranos it, it, it like branched out into this whole new prestige cartoon era yeah you know um, and, and, and like Stephen Universe the final season it makes it clear that it wasn't going to take the easy way out of its mm. uh, cataclysmic events uh, yeah. and unlike many cartoons for, cut- for children like you mentioned its characters don't bounce back unscathed like nothing ever happened yeah uh, instead, it explores the aftermath of the show's uh, game-changing adventures and how its characters would adjust to the new normal. In doing so, it allowed Steven the room to have a true crisis of faith by giving him nothing to do. Mm-hmm. No wars to fight, no friends to rescue, but yeah. be himself, whoever that may be. Yeah. And after teasing us with a few idyllic episodes about a peaceful new status quo, um, Future plunged face-first into Steven's confusion and trauma with the kind yeah. of um, consideration, I think, uh, typical of the series. Yeah. Um, he's used to being the one who helps everyone in the time of need uh, mm. and Stephen has refused to let anyone help him in his own time of need <laughs> yeah. uh, and confused by his debilitating depression during an objectively stable world mm. Stephen blames himself for not being able to cope better yeah. uh, and even when a doctor gently suggests that he's dealing with a whole lifetime of trauma um, he's still lost without a defined purpose yeah. uh, so he loses a grip on what he wants and I think putting the show's hero in this kind of precarious position uh, in a very and showing like unflattering sides yeah. of his psyche, yeah. it's a huge risk that in the show's final four episodes try to pay off. Um, the Steven University is very aware of its audience, a cross section of like starry eyed kids yes. and adults, yeah. and trusts them to understand Steven's struggles, uh, having followed him to the ends of the galaxy and back again. Uh, just like Steven's friends and family on the show want nothing more than for Steven to understand that he doesn't have to shoulder everyone's burden. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he's more than enough on his own and he is worthy of love even when he doesn't believe in it himself. Yeah. Um, that's that's kind of the grace of extending an open mind and sympathetic hand. Not just to your friends, not just to your enemies, but, but to yourself. yourself as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that is the legacy of Steven Universe. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Um, I mean, I, I actually am really amazed at the way that they treated uh, the, the treatment of PTSD. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, as I was watching the whole thing, I'm reminded of that initial encounter in the first episode that he has with Jasper, right? Mm. Who is clearly, you know, suffering from PTSD. She's a war vet. She's got nothing to do. She's continuing to train for this eventual, you know, conflict that's going to happen. And all of that is fine and good. And in the first episode, Stephen isn't aware that he's going through the exact same thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he is unable to come. So his relationship with Jasper, I think, as kind of a catalyst or even like a foreshadowing of, of the this adventure that, that Stephen has to overcome or this struggle that Stephen has to overcome mm-hmm. was very succinct. Yeah. Uh, and very, very... I don't know, so smart, so well done. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because it doesn't, it doesn't require you to to deviate anywhere from, from everything that's happened in the past, you know, mm-hmm. like he's worried um, about Jasper, he's worried that, you know, he's one of the few that um, doesn't or can't acclimatize and all of that. Well, with the entire time, Jasper just being a mirror, uh, a reflection of what he is going through mm-hmm. and has problems coming to terms with. Yeah. Um, and that that kind of stood up to me. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, like, in taking its characters' feelings seriously, even when its characters couldn't take themselves seriously, it assured the audience that we too kind of deserve the kind of compassion we would more likely extend to others. Yeah. Um, in finding hope in, like, a lot of dark places, it showed how crisis can lead to catharsis uh, rather than bottling up your negative emotions, which is what Steven has been doing mm. in the first five seasons. Mm. And a lot of people... I know Rebecca Sugar has talked about this a lot. A lot of people 
think that that's a strength of Steven. He she sees it as a weakness of Steven. Yeah. That that he is so helpful, that he's so positive, that that's not a healthy way of being. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. the fact that he just feels responsible for so many things. Correct, yeah, yeah. But like in it also shows that, you know, this chosen family that they've showed up every day to care for one another. It, it shows us how we can support each other and how asking for help is, isn't a weakness but a necessity yeah. uh, in making its heroes powerful by virtue of ge- generosity mm. rather than their physical force. The series has kind of flipped the convention on its head and heralded the, the kind of uh, emotional fortitude that too many shows uh, dismiss mm. or, or take for granted. Um, and imagine an innovative world in which the biggest strength of a person or gem uh, can have its kindness yeah. Uh, it makes it sound simple, but uh, as Steven Universe has proved over and over again, it's the kind of uh, future that's worth fighting for. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of what the show is all about, and this epilogue season is all about. Yeah. So, I mean, in in conclusion, what do you think about like the last ten episodes and how they wrap up and everything? Um, very brave, mm. I think. Very surprising. I I wasn't really expecting the way that they got about it. Very smart storytelling, and all of these are all like things. That we've seen, right? Like throughout all the seasons, um, but the willingness to go that one extra step is really indicative of the kind of artist that Rebecca Sugar and the team are, uh, and I I really respect that. I feel like um, we are in almost like a we we say we're in the golden age of TV right now, yeah, pretty yeah. much. But like to be able to say we're in the golden age of like kids cartoons, children's animation, uh, yeah. children's animation yeah. with with Steven Universe with uh, well Shira not too much, but like Hilda for example, mm. or even Kipo and the um age of Wonder Beast. Uh, yeah, Wonder all Beast. these shows are Steven Universe influence. Yeah, it's easy to tell. Yeah, and like for us to be able to say that for us as adults, like grown ass men, mm. sitting here and like completely enjoying and empathizing with what we are watching is, is a masterstroke. I think. Yeah. 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 Um. I and and I know this is the most obvious thing, so a lot of people don't say it. But the music is is fucking phenomenal. Oh, Steven Universe. God. And I actually think that now that the show is ended, is Banan the best soundtrack and best scored TV show in in the history of TV. Yeah, for sure. And I I don't think I'm being hyperbolic. I I really believe that it's the best soundtrack show in ever that I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh. And and it's a good, a really great way to cap off one of the greatest cartoons ever created, and certainly one of the best twenty uh, first century uh genre shows mm. that I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh. I'm actually gonna rate this slightly higher than how I rated the Good Place and the Bojack Horseman's final season. Yeah. Uh, it's a nine point five out of ten. Well, it's a nine out of ten for me. Okay. Yeah. So highly, highly recommend, guys. Yeah. Uh, it's a really, really easy commitment, even if you are starting from scratch, right? Yes. Um, the total amount of time won't take you a week to get through. Yeah. 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 Like easy, easy stuff. Um, it's quite a ride, and really, like, if you enjoyed watching cartoons as a kid. Uh, this is kind of uh, this is pretty life changing. I have to say, like it's a completely different experience, uh, watching a kids' cartoon yeah. as an adult uh, of this quality. Yeah, um, especially in in a time like this when people are stuck at home, it's gonna take a couple of days to finish six seasons in a movie. It's yeah. really one of the quickest uh, watches you can have. Mm, highly recommend. Uh, next up, uh, the newest entry in uh, CBS All Access, which is basically the Star Trek channel at this point, because they have nothing <laughs> except Discovery. Except <laughs> Yeah, yeah. and Picard. I mean, they have like Twilight Zone also, but it's that's on hiatus. Yeah, so that's it's, also sci-fi. It's uh, it's the Picard, it's the Star Trek, the new Star Trek channel. Yeah. Um. So in the the first ever season of Star Trek Picard, um, I just have to say like in in the long long history of sci-fi starship captains. Yeah. And even in Star Trek's own illustrious history, for yeah. me, um, Jean Luc Picard is is the greatest. The best. Captain ever depicted on screen. Hell yes. And, and it wasn't just because Patrick Stewart is such a phenomenal actor. Yep. Uh, it was that he was so different than the others. He exuded the ideals of Starfleet in, in a- his every action. He wasn't an action-based character, 
Picard nope. was a thinker, a diplomat, a, diplomat. a philosopher, an anthropologist, a scientist, an uh, explorer, an academic. Yeah, mm. his greatest strength came through his words and his wisdom mm. and open-mindedness. And his subtlety. Subtlety, not and not his physicality or fighting prowess. Uh, conflict was always a last resort, but conflict did come, and he was a capable fighter too. So he could be physical. He could tussle like Kirk. You know, he possessed the moral complexity of Cisco and 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 the resoluteness of Janeway. And he was all of them. You know, he was moral but not infallible. He was he's, Picard, he, man. He's the consummate statesman. Yeah. The, the blueprint of of like what a a man should be in the future. Like, you know, like the ideal person. You know, where uh, like all toxic masculinity is like ripped out of him. Correct. Yeah. And, yeah. and I do I do have to say like in the late eighties, early nineties, he was like the the kind of fictional father figure I clung to when like I had none in my Aww. real life. Yeah. So so as as a massive fan of of TNG, the next generation, mm-hmm. and a lifelong admirer of Picard, it, it it goes without saying that Star Trek Picard obviously the most anti- anticipated show of twenty twenty for me. Star Trek wise, yeah. like in, in general, because of your love for Star Trek, because my love for Picard, you know, yeah. which which uh, like predates things like Buffy or, or everything else, even you know. So this series is set at the end of the 24th century, mm-hmm. uh, 20 years after the event of Star Trek Nemesis, which mm-hmm. came out in 2002. Canon, by the way. Uh yes yes uh even the first five minutes of uh J J Abrams Star Trek is canon because it takes place in Prime yeah. Universe, the, Prime Universe, uh, Romulan supernova and everything. Yep, yep yep. So the focus uh is on the effect of the destruction of the android Commander Data, mm-hmm. which occurred in the climax of that film, as well as the destruction of the planet Romulus, which occurred in, in the, the 2009 Abrams, Star Trek. Yeah. Both spark the political reality of this new era where Starfleet has turned away from its ideals and become more isolationist and security driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, and given where I think the furthest in the timeline that we've seen so far yeah. is the end of Deep Space Nine. Yes. And given where Deep Space Nine left off after the Dominion War, it makes perfect sense for Starfleet to go in this direction. It's it's quite believable. Yes. Um, old and weary and now retired Admiral Picard is disillusioned of the Federation. That is until a conspiracy involving rogue synths, a reclaimed Borg cube, a, a Romulan se- secret, a secret cabal of Romulan uh, agents. spies agents draws him into one last adventure. Uh, but unlike TNG, this series doesn't explore space. Um, Not much. Yeah. So much as explore the man himself and his complicated legacy. Therefore, Star Trek. Picard. Picard, yeah, <laughs> uh, and, and of course, like all Star Trek stories, there is yeah. a moral dilemma at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, Picard does depart from standard Star Trek structure with a slower serialized story. Yep. I mean, it's not as revolutionary as Michael Shaban would like you think it is because that was Deep Space Nine too. Yeah. Uh, but it, it it also tackles like a lot of timely themes, mm-hmm. like all Star Treks do, uh, and mm-hmm. it does so. It tries to do so with grace, and and I think like while I liked it overall, um. I must admit that the story itself unfolds much too slowly. Um, and and also the like the payoff wasn't that like oh okay yeah <laughs> you yeah. know it's a very okay. It's it's kind of emblematic of the bloat that defines streaming TV now. I feel mm-hmm. like it's I feel like its first three episodes could have easily been condensed into one, one. episode. Yeah. A- and while I'm not against character driven story, it doesn't have to come at the expense of Star Trek sci fi creativity as well because Is this it? was very there was very very little sci fi involved. Very little. Yeah. yeah. And, and the whole show felt tedious and. and For a series that claims to be focused on character, um, a lot of his new characters, also Picard, of course, feel, one-dimensional. feel lazily sketched and yep. hollow and one-dimensional. Yep. Um, the politics it explores are timely and resonant, but unusually simplistic for for Star Trek. Um, Star Trek's political, cultural, and theological dilemmas, even in standalone episodes, are often way more nuanced and complex and exciting than what is presented here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I mean, what do you think about about Star Trek? I like Picard? the Easter eggs. 
Sure. Thanks to you. Yeah. Uh, so he did got me to watch a bunch of old TNG episodes to prep me for Picard. Yeah, I wish I got the new in, into some Voyager episodes too because yeah. there was some yeah, Voyager exactly. references. Yeah, exactly. Especially with like, uh, what's her name? Each episode of Nine. Yeah. yeah. So it was quite interesting to see like Hugh coming back, mm. um, Jerry Ryan's character. <laughs> Seven. Yeah. What's the name again? Seven of Nine. Seven of Nine. I mean, her real name, I mean, her character's real name is Annika Hansen. Annika. But she doesn't yeah. uh, respond to that anymore mm-hmm. ever since she was uh, assimilated. Yeah. And to see what the future of Star Trek is, yeah. it was still quite heartening, la, you yeah. know? To see all these old characters, especially Picard, and you know his little like, uh, his little rent, you know, like an old man who mm-hmm. is past his prime, you know, mm-hmm. and he doesn't know how to captain the, yeah, the new starship. The new starship is yeah. a bit out of place. Yeah, touchscreen, bro. <laughs> yeah, touchscreen. <laughs> a cool, very cool touchscreen, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I didn't mind that there was no space exploration to the extent of like TNG because this is not what this series is about, right? I mean, uh, Deep Space Nine didn't explore space either. It was no, set no. on a space station. Yeah, la, yeah, therefore, it's called Deep Space Nine. La, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Picard, I expected it to you know be focused on one story that involves Picard. The person. And, yeah, the person. Yeah. And they did, did quite a good job on Picard. Exploring Picard all they the way. Fantastic job on Picard. Right? Yeah. But the new secondary characters, like uh, the, the ninja guy. Elno. Elno. I liked him at the beginning, but then it kind of like petered out in the end. Mm. And you could say the, the same for almost every single character. Mm. Um, Rafi. Even uh, Rafi. You know, yeah. who had such an interesting backstory at the beginning. Sure. And you mean like the five seconds we spent with her child? Yeah, like, explore more. And then, you know? and then that was it? And that was it! Yeah. You know, it petered out also. Yeah. And then, oh, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so, a lot of these moments where you're like, oh man, I wish they just explored it a bit more. Yeah, I agree. You know? Um, but it was, it was always exciting to, to, to watch a new episode because, you know, you're pushing an interesting story la, about these synthetics who are so real that they are essentially mm. a new life form. La. Uh, it's actually, I mean, like, we won't spoil in, in case you haven't seen it. Oh. It will just give general thoughts. But, like, it's safe to say that these sims uh, are descended from Data. data uh, yeah. you, it's kind of it's in the trailer. It's kind of revealed in the first episode, yeah. too. So, you know, it's not a big deal. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah like, it's about sims like, in general. Yeah. And, and it's and while I liked it overall, right? Like I mean, overall, Some, something's I, bothered yeah, you, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I, I mean, number one, can we like totally do away with the swearing? It's just yeah, just a bit not, off, right? It's not, no, it's not Star Trek, lah. Like, like curse words are meant to be signifiers of mature material, uh. But no. Picard didn't feel appreciably more adult, uh, as in sophisticated yeah. than than its predecessors. Um, at times it was, it felt even less because of the swearing. <laughs> yeah, it felt like yeah, correct. I agree. This is like a kid trying to be like, look how look how adult, adult I, I am. am now. I say fuck all the time. <laughs> um, the show give uh, supporting characters, uh, at least old supporting characters like uh, huge ah, emotional moments. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. Like uh, Seven of Nine, played by Jerry Ryan, has to temporarily plug back into the Borg collective oh, that was a to good, stop that was the Romulans from killing everyone on the cube. Yeah. Um, Agnes, played by Alison Pill, is brainwashed into murdering her mentor slash lover, lover Bruce Maddox, yeah. and then. But the thing is, that all these big emotional moments, like they race through the aftermath. Like, yes. how does Seven of Nine feel about being part of the Borg again, again for yeah. a moment? Yeah. Uh, not not address. Uh, Agnes murdered her lover. But like what you said, the, the build up was there, right? Yeah. They were like, oh my god, I don't know whether I would want to let them go. Yeah. And then nothing. And then that. nothing. And then like and then like Agnes like murdered her lover and mentor. <laughs> and then she she cried one time when the dinner table. And everybody's and like, like, okay, oh, cool. All right, we're over it. You know, <laughs> you you murdered a dude, but it's cool. That was my issue too. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, oh man, wow. It really bothered me in in, in that sense, lah. Uh, that but, means, but I feel like they were trying to rush back to Picard. You know what course. I mean? The, <laughs> like, show, the show is Picard. Yeah. yeah. So they, I felt they're just okay. Let's go done done. Let's go just talk about Picard yes, again. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, like to in fairness, uh, all the other Star Trek shows have been ensemble shows, so yes. they will spend more time on supporting characters, lah. Yeah. La. So yeah. this is, but this is a one character show. Yeah. As it's in the title. It's in yeah. the title. Yeah. <laughs> um, that being said, like Patrick Stewart, mm-hmm. like absolutely keeps me engaged. Yep. Uh, within the first fifteen minutes. <laughs> Go on, by the way. Uh, Picard delivers like you know one of his trademark monologues about morality and duty <laughs> in like the first fifteen minutes. You know, it just like brought me to tears, and I was yeah, like, that in, was like, a good one, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, that's a Picard thing. It was in hook, line, and sinker from then lah. Yeah. Uh, and Patrick Stewart's like sheer force of presence held this kind of rough. First mm-hmm. season together as it as you know the deep cut callbacks as well. Yeah, a lot of the famous Borg characters like Hugh you mentioned from the Next Generation's yeah. episode, uh, I Borg, uh, Seven of Nine, and Echep from Voyager. Mm-hmm. Uh, so bringing them in a Borg adjacent story oh, yeah. made sense. Yep. Uh, it wasn't just like oh remember this remember yeah, this, yeah, yeah, but yeah, like because yeah. they had a they had value to the current story Because mm-hmm. of course they had to be there as a Borg story yeah. And and my favorite moments. Came from Picard's reunion with Troy and Riker. Oh, uh, the Riker woman. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, in episode seven, I think called Nempenfe. Uh, the one they cooking the pizza. Yeah, uh, the, the the pizza episode. <laughs> yeah, pizza episode. Which which kind of like it 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 made me cry so hard that I had to like pause the episode to like just compose myself for a while. The episode really re-energized what I felt was a flagging season yes, up till then, yes, yes. leading into um a climax that was uh I I think like partially redeemed most of the season because yeah. I I didn't enjoy anything up till seven first seven. There are a lot of moments seven. There are a lot of moments Yeah uh. But it was never like Oh that was a solid episode Correct yeah But then yeah. like Once the pieces started to come together And the mystery coheres It becomes like More exciting And yep. more and more propulsive yeah. And I, I think the, the finale In terms of like Action and emotion Was really good It tied up everything mm-hmm. In the most track way Imaginable mm-hmm. With a Picard speech About faith and love And understanding And empathy That averts a galactic genocide which Hashtag is, diplomacy Which is The ending of every Star Trek <laughs> TNG e- t- e- Well I mean In the end right yeah. Even in Deep Space Nine After all the moral complexity mm-hmm. Like Cisco still delivers Like a speech About understanding And, and compassion <laughs> And it's like Alright bro Let's make Only peace Only he does it cooler Alright let's make peace <laughs> uh, and, and I think Picard also did a lot For Data's legacy Allowing, yes. allowing a more poignant goodbye Than what he was given In Nemesis yes, like, Which yes. was a very Like Troll Troy, way Death You know uh, Yeah but Like I said Unfortunately things didn't get good Until episode 7 And it takes way too long Do you think it took too long? It took too long Yeah yeah, like they should have tied up the, the, the earlier episodes Explore certain things And all that Because you need those Supporting characters In the future you Yeah, know, yeah I mean, they, they form the crew and Yeah, then, right? exactly so, For some reason They're back in Starfleet They have the insignia And all yeah. Like Starfleet It was just like Agnes <laughs> You know what? Good Ag- job Agnes murdered someone It's cool It's cool You know 709 uh, A vigilante In Fenris Ranger <laughs> Who killed a lot of people Let's, let's just join us Once again yeah. uh, it, it felt weird <laughs> It did uh. I know yeah. Star Trek Is forgiving uh, But <laughs> Come on, not that forgiving. You have to pay your dues a bit. So, I mean, I, I'm quite interested to see where this goes. La. I'm, I'm guessing there's a second season. Yes, yeah. Already greenlit second and third season. Yeah, so yeah. I would be interested to see because now the story, the first season story is really done and done. Sure. You know, but yeah, we'll see where that goes. I think, right, this story had just enough for a very, very excellent 90-minute movie. Oh no, you're right. If it was like a 90-minute movie, it would have been like phenomenal. And it's just called Star Trek Picard, yeah. Yeah, but then stretching it out to 10 hours is just... Whew. Yeah, there's a lot of fluff in there. Yeah. Uh, and, and I feel also like it brings back a lot of Star Trek lore. Yes. But heinously disrespectful and on and, and oh, of, of some things. Like? Like, 
Okay, like Ichab is a really important character in, in, in Voyager, uh, yeah. brought in season six. Yeah. Um, so are Hugh and Bruce Maddox. Yeah. Uh, and they discarded them in like in, seconds in 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 a manner that felt that it was throwaway. Their deaths were like plot points, and and it, they made very little effort to convey the sense of importance or or loss to long time viewers. Mm-hmm. And new viewers don't understand why they were important. Yeah. Um, Ichab's death in particular is probably brutal. It is the most violent, gorious scene I've seen in Star Trek history, and it was just a cold open and and a plot point meant to motivate Seven of Nine, who yeah. who in Voyager was like his adoptive mother. Mother, yeah. Um, so on paper it makes sense. In execution, it felt flagrantly wasteful of important relationships and characters that mean a lot to us, lah. Like Hugh getting killed in like literally a second. Yeah, yeah. And then her and the retribution even then also was also yeah. another second. Yeah. Yeah. So you didn't have any, yeah, and because I mean I just knew you like two months ago, you know, True, yeah. and so I mean I'm knowing him for twenty years. Yeah, now, exactly. But, yeah. but yeah. you know, so I have just enough emotional resonance to to know this character, mm. and I was so pissed. I was like, "That's how you're gonna do you?" Yeah, Ichab oh, uh, was introduced in Voyager as a child, so as a child, I, I, yeah. I watched the character grow, grow up, up into yeah. a man, and then he joined Starfleet. He was a former Borg and everything, and reform Borg. Yeah, and then he just died. In like the first like minute of an episode, and then credits. <laughs> that's the end. It's just to push Jerry Ryan's character to vengeance, lah. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Like and, and and to be honest, like I I'm okay with Seven of Nine killing people. She's always done that. Like it's not. It's, it's not, not a break of a character. It's not new for her because she was never Starfleet. Oh yeah. She that's was true. she was uh, an adopted member of Janeway's crew, which was stranded in the Delta the Delta Quadrant. Uh, but she was never initiated into Starfleet. She didn't yep. join. She nope. didn't take the 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 oath and and sub- succumb to the morals and Fucking everything. Fucking Voyager was lost. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, Jer, uh, she's always had a different code of ethics mm. than than rest Starfleet. So I'm cool with that of her murdering people. So I don't understand the anger. But oh, Seven is killing people. Do you watch Voyager? She killed people like all the time. I mean, I watch clips and all uh, to catch up on the character line. Yeah, yeah. yeah but like, that, okay, that's fine. But I was mostly unimpressed with the new aspects of the show, mm-hmm. the new characters, the new villains. Even um, I think outside mm-hmm. of Narek, Narek's sister, very poorly built. I didn't understand her, and like even her death didn't feel satisfying. No, nope. yeah, she got yeah. Wouldn't it be cool if like you got to know her a bit better, and then like you got to know that she thought that she was on the right side. You yeah, know, we got like a, a tiny glimpse of that. We got an abstraction of the idea yeah. that they feel that they're on the right side. Yeah, and that's it. But then like you could have spent a few episodes like really delving into them, like why they're doing this, why they're doing all these horrible things. Correct. But then you get to know like oh, to them like they're just trying to stop the fucking apocalypse. You know, mm. like this is necessary. Maybe we can empathize with them more. Like. Yeah. Now we just look at the Romulans as crazy people. <laughs> I mean, th- yeah. I mean, they are lah, but <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean, lah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they didn't suck, but they were just functional. Yeah, functional. Yeah, functional. Correct, correct. They just did enough to make you like, oh, okay. Yeah, they yeah. are functional, lah. And and plus, I feel after after control in discovery in season two. Yeah. Yet another evil AI threat seems repetitive. It is. <laughs> I'm just gonna. That was what I was gonna bring up next. I was like, <laughs> why I is just, it always AI? <laughs> didn't I just see this in Discovery, which you was did. the most recent Star Trek show? <laughs> yeah. You know, you know the galaxy is a big place, bro. It is. It doesn't place. always have to be about synths. Doesn't have to be. But that's like the only threat they can think of right now. Like they kind of used up everything already. Like the bulk is done. You know. No, but the beauty of track is that they always found they created new, new races, yeah. they created new moral dilemmas, but I'm, I'm saying new that cultures. I, I think and, and the problem with new track is that these new creators are not inventive enough to create yes. a new a new world, uh, a new civilization to build uh, to explore moral dilemmas in, you know. Yeah, yeah. I but I think they, they saturated I think they are at a point of saturation. 
I don't think so. I think like there's and you can be endless, endlessly creative. I know, but I just think that they are saturated. Not 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 that the ideas are saturated. It's just yeah. that they couldn't come up with anything else really. Okay. Yeah, I don't know why lah, but because when I saw, it, oh hey wait, this is this is kind of another AI thing that's happening. I I mean I like in, but in the body of an android lah. You know? Yes, yeah, I, I get that. Like the one, I think the the point of the season was data. Yes. And, and a data centric season. It's gonna. I mean, gonna have Sims lah, so yeah. I can kind of forgive it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if going forward, if like season two is just enough, <laughs> like more AIs, you know, <laughs> what if control comes back? Like I'm just, I'm just done lah. Really, you know, <laughs> good brother. Can, can we have something new, please? Uh, and, but that being said, right, I I know Star Trek very well. Yeah. Um, in fact, in preparation for Picard, I watched uh original series, you did. Discovery, you Enterprise, did. You did. TNG, you Voyager, did. Deep Space Nine, all the Star Trek movies, all the Star Trek TNG movies. And the Star Trek animated series, which is canon, by the way, from the seventies. Yes, 70s. yes, yes. Uh, so I spent about a year and a half uh, watching all that. So I I spent about two thousand hours watching Star Trek. He did. So previous, I can verify this. Previously, I used to think that, like in Singapore, I was like <laughs> maybe a good Star Trek expert. Like I, I knew enough, like, cause I watched it live, lah. Like you can you can debate. I can debate, yeah. yeah. But now, like, I think like I am like elite level. I know it's very fresh, lah. Like I know I know Star Trek back and forth, lah. Yeah. And, and and I can say for certain that no Star Trek show has ever had a good first season. Yes. Uh, all season ones are horrendous, horrendous. This is not horrendous though. Yes, that's the thing, and mm. just by virtue of the fact that this is middling. Mm-hmm. This is it gives me so much encouragement. <laughs> <laughs> it's like no Star Trek show has no Star Trek season one has yeah. ever been, in my opinion, above like three out of ten. Yeah, but DS Nine was yeah. horrendous. Yeah, oh, horrendous for seasons. They've never been good for seasons. Yeah. Second seasons have been middling. Yes, yeah. and, but it's like them finding their legs, and like by the third, fourth season, they, third they season got it is really. like they third season is really. like oh on fire. Every yeah. show has has followed that route. Yeah, and, and to my dismay, like I found that Discovery has been like that also. Like, I mean, horrendous for season second season started finding better. finding his legs yeah. a bit. Maybe third season will be or like even oh, better, especially now where they're in the the future. far future. Yeah. yeah. So um, it tells me that that this show, like all Star Trek shows, will get better eventually. <laughs> Uh, in fact, it, it just like, he has a good start. It's a cap- <laughs> capability to actually be great, yeah. because on the plus side, you know, they, okay, this is the best looking Star mm, Trek mm, show mm, I've ever mm, seen. Like technology and all, mm, you know, the acting is great all around. No issues with the actors, nope. issues with the characters, lah. No. Uh, and the climax, I think, brought it all home. So, despite my low rating of a five out of ten, mm-hmm. this is by far the best season one of Star Trek I've ever seen. Yeah, I'll give it a six out of ten. I'm, and I'm so, Im- I know, like. There's this contradiction in what I'm saying. Yeah. This five out of ten season is is amazing, la. Yeah, it gives me so much hope. I know what you mean. <laughs> it's because it gives you so much hope. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because the potent the potential to be great is there. Sure. Yeah. Right. Especially when you got freaking Patrick Stewart as mm. fucking Picard again. Yeah. I mean, you have a crew with like interesting characters that you know a bit of the backstory. Like which the you captain. Can act- then you can explore Rios, la. Rios, la, Yeah. Yeah. Even Rios, I think that like, did a fantastic job acting, playing all the different. Exactly. Uh, all his ho- AI's, right? All his holograms. Holograms. Yeah. That yeah. was damn cool. Yeah. Oh. I heard people complaining about it too. But huh? Again, it was a concept introduced in Voyager because the Doctor was also a hologram in Voyager. Yeah. yeah. The emergency uh, uh medical officer. Uh, so why not have emergency navigation officer or everything, lah? Yeah, for everything. Yeah, I so mean, he was essentially running the ship himself. So if Voyager, which happened like 20, 30 years ago, had this technology already, why yeah. why would you think that it wouldn't be expanded upon Agreed. in the next couple of decades? And it didn't yeah. even expand upon it that much, lah. Nope. So okay. I mean, there was just one plot point they used, lah, to get to get yeah. him out of the room. It was it was a bit of a Tiani Maslani showcase for him. That was quite cool, though. For like five minutes. Yeah. And they're like, oh, we're done with this. We're done with this. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, season two thoughts. I mean, what what do you think is gonna happen with season two? I have no idea, brother. I know Whoopi Goldberg is reprising her role as guy. As oh, that would be fun. Yeah, Seven of Nine is part of Picard's crew, also, which should be interesting. Yeah, I mean, she has really carried lah. Mm. Yeah, ever since she's been there, she's been useful. Yeah, but wasted lah, writing wise. Right now lah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of dramatic potential. I think. I like Elno. Elno, yeah. Also, you can. Yeah. He has El- Elno doesn't really have much of a backstory. No. He grew up in an orphanage. Yeah. He became like a. He was, he's only male of his warrior species uh, thing. Yeah, Romulan ninja nun- monks. Monks. Well, I mean, yeah, no, I guess he's a monk. He's la. a monk. La. Yeah. La. Um. So I mean, you can explore all that lah for the online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you don't have to give it all away in season one. I get it. Yeah, yeah, season yeah. two and all of that. Um, I think it'll be, it'll be There's lots of potential If they set up I'm not saying that She's gonna be a villain But I'm saying As an antagonist Not villain Antagonist Oh that's a whole other thing Yeah Captain Janeway In season 2 <gasps> Because as the antagonist It will be The one person That will make 7 of 9 Turn on Picard Because of course She would trust Janeway More than Picard like, In whatever Quest I mean she Again like You can explore her mentality Why she's doing something That Picard opposes But both of them Can be doing Quote unquote The right thing just from a different, different perspective, point, perspective, perspective, lah, yeah. So if you wanna like set up a turn with seven of nine, you know, like have Janeway be there, and then like you know, seven of nine will always go with Janeway because Janeway is the one that saved her, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, her loyalty. Loyalty has been with Voyager way longer than she's been with Picard. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So that that would be cool. Oh, actually, I like that idea so much. Yeah, because that was the first thing I thought of. Was, like you know, introduce Janeway as an, not a villain but as an antagonist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because it would be so boring if it's just like a rogue. Starfleet captain Correct yeah You yeah. know or, or I mean Go into different aspects of The galaxy Like go to the Gamma Quadrants You know In a sort of a Deep Space Nine Quasi sequel of sorts Or lots of possibilities So you can so go much. back To the Delta Quadrants Yeah You know One of the things That really made The new AI intro- Okay I'm sorry To bring back the AI like, No go but, ahead You know the The, the ascended AI From 200,000 years ago Yeah So there was a lot of Wasted potential there Because yeah. In Star Trek canon There have been a lot of Archaeological episodes yes. That discovered Ancient empires From 200,000 years ago yes, That yes, were mysteriously yes. dis- Destroyed You yeah. know Why not mention that Like the Tekon Empire Or something Was the The thing that The civilization That did the The 8 star uh, the, Solar yeah, system yeah, yeah, You yeah, know yeah. Because like In that episode Of the original series They were the one empire That could move Move suns You know yeah. So I thought Oh okay this could, They could connect that And then it just didn't And I was like it, It's right there Waste the opportunity It's right there yeah. You know this big, But there were so many Easter eggs that But also this yeah. thing I wanted to mention was the it is the first thing that we've encountered outside of the Milky Way galaxy. Yes, because uh, Star Trek has never gone beyond the beyond. Milky Way yeah. because it's just not feasible. Yeah. Um, top warp speed is nine point nine 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 seven five, yeah. which is about sixty three billion times the speed of light. Mm. Or if you go transwarp like the Borg, that's about ninety three trillion times the speed of light. But even at that speed, it will take two hundred years to. To reach leave. the edge of our galaxy yeah. And then it's another 100 years To go to Andromeda galaxy yeah. And then who knows How big that is right yeah. So there is Potentially 600 year To and fro journey Which is why we've never Gone beyond our galaxy It's just not feasible Unless you're AI la. Unless you're AI la, who, Or unless you have like uh, Portals Yeah la. Wormholes la. Wormholes yeah mm. The Bajoran wormhole For example mm-hmm. So I mean okay That's another thing That kind of annoyed me About yes. Discovery <laughs> Sorry to go on a Star Trek No no here. We are on a Star Trek topic It's yeah. fine Let's So so, so yeah. we find out Like in Discovery, like for fucking a hundred years, yes. we've known about the Mycelia network. We have. And then they left Voyager stranded on the Delta Quadrant when they had the technology to bring them home. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, Discovery took place before, before, before original right? series. Right, original series, right? Yeah. And original series is, be- is before TNG, which is before DS9, which is before Voyager. Agreed. But then remember, by the end of season two, they disappeared, right? 
Yes, I know. Yeah, so yeah, but they still knew the about ship. the mycelia network. Yeah, but the experts are all in in the damn ship, no, and the other experts died already. No, no, no. But there's only one ship. There's two. There was two. Yeah, but that ship got destroyed. That ship got destroyed, right? True. And yeah, but nobody ever brought up that possibility. Like. Maybe like, because like they, they they brought up so many things. Because both like, the ships got destroyed. Like I mean, to I, them, right? I have a feeling that we will they answer that question in upcoming Maybe, season. but I think it's because the both ships disappeared. One died. I mean, one got destroyed. One disappeared. Sure. Yeah. So then, most probably, like, okay, let's not explore this anymore. <laughs> I guess it doesn't work. <laughs> I guess you know that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the Mycelia network was so interesting to me. It was. it was the one thing that I liked about Discovery because we've never been outside of the Milky Way galaxy because propulsion is just not possible. Yes. Right? Like, g- forget the fact that you need to refuel, that you need to stop. The engines are not going to run forever. Let's say you have a magic engine that can run full forever. steam ahead. Yeah. Transwarp ninety three trillion times the size, uh, the speed of light. Right. It will still take a couple hundred years to get to the Andromeda Galaxy, but not with the Mycelia Network. They could have actually explored the universe first time ever in Star Trek, and then like they disappeared. No, they're gonna do it on Discovery, ma. Hopefully, la. Yeah, la. Hopefully, la. <laughs> well, because we don't know where they are. Well, we'll, we'll see when Discovery Season Three happens soon, la, on so, on the Star Trek Network, <laughs> <laughs> CBS All Access. Yeah. Uh, next up, we'll be talking about the third season uh, of Castlevania. Um, I think while we often employ a sliding scale when judging video game adaptations, yeah. uh, Warren Ellis's take on Castlevania is the one adaptation that's genuinely good. Yes, yeah, like absolutely. like no qualifiers. Like oh, for a video game, it's okay. No 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 no, 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 no. It's just a good show. It is. Yeah, because all of us here are big fans of the first two seasons. Mm. Uh, now in season three, we get still conti- a big fan. So yeah, we get a continuation so of the high quality visual storytelling, mature yeah. narrative approach that Castlevania has provided so far. Plus all new characters, a vast expansion of the world, and yeah. some of the most what the fuck moments like of the series so far. Finally, we get out of that, you know, that area. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and okay, the setup is this: um, in the aftermath of Dracula's death, death. Uh, Trevor and Sifa are traveling. Um, Alucard remains at the castle in misery as uh, a guardian. Uh, as a guardian, um, <laughs> Isaac, uh, he's a uh, social distancing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Isaac is returning to Europe for his revenge. Yeah. Uh, while With all his demon babies. Correct. Uh, while Dracula may be dead, uh, however, the surrounding areas remain in bloody chaos with many stray monsters from Dracula's army still on the yep, loose. Yep. Meanwhile, Dracula's former, former vampire generals have their own plans to take mm-hmm. advantage of a power vacuum. Yep. That's interesting. Uh, while there are random mad magicians and priests and satanists everywhere. And monks, just, just unholy monks. Wrecking havoc. Uh, and I think like season 3 like, was a goddamn blast, man. I yeah. really enjoyed this. <laughs> it was, uh, what it was. do you guys think? I was so afraid that with the death of Dracula, like, how the fuck are you going to fill up that hole, yeah. that very big hole that you have, like, built up over two seasons, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's freaking Dracula. What what, what are you going to have? So I was kind of, like, anticipating a dip in quality. Mm. I was wrong. <laughs> like, goddamn, like, the exploration of the three sisters, the, 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 those the, vampires, the four, yeah. four, four, four of them. Yeah. I mean, the three are new. La, and then the, yeah. So yeah, the four of them, mm. damn cool story. Yeah, uh, a totally different way of uh, of uh, governance, right? Yeah, and then you had uh, the new budding romance of of Saifa and uh, Trevor and Trevor, which is fun. <laughs> like, yeah, their bickering is awesome, mm-hmm. and even the story. Even though, like, I had fun with them, lah. You know, yeah. and Alucard and his two new disciples. That entire story was kind of uh, interesting until mm-hmm. the end. The Japanese vampire hunters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, it was so waste. clear. That those guys are gonna betray you. Sure. <laughs> Sorry, spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> but drama lah. But well, drama lah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course they're gonna betray you. Yeah, that's exactly. the dramatic potential. Exactly. Right? And so it was so perfectly done. I thought this season was really uh improvement on like a really good second season. Mm. Mm. Yep, yeah, for sure. 
And especially in a world post-Dracula, I think Castlevania, who... Wow, the games have never done this. I mean, the story in the games is barely there. So, to see such nice uh, world-building mm-hmm. season 3 yep. is fantastic. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, what do you think, Asa? I am surprised that there are not more sad Alucard memes yeah. floating yeah, around. There yeah. should be more. Because... Every every time he's on screen, it's basically uh, Alucard just brooding, brooding. right? Like yeah. uh, no pun intended, but literally just yeah. brooding all the time. Um, what I love about what they did in season three is that they gave every character their own very solid and very well developed arc, mm. maybe with the exception of Hector, right? Mm. But everybody else and got. I think good. Trevor and Cipher are one arc. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, they're definitely one yeah, arc, yeah. and like that, at that. Um, that portion of the story isn't he, they aren't even the most interesting character no, it's Fain yeah. Jaman yeah. Yeah. who's the most interesting character right uh, and uh, a lot of questions in that particular one and most of the action takes place in that particular arc yeah. uh, but so good though so yeah. good I really already enjoyed uh, how much they decided to humanize Isaac and, and Hector and even Dracula um, in the second season uh, but now like Isaac has a full on arc Mm. Uh, extremely compelling Probably mm. the most compelling character This mm. season I think they're the fourth protagonist Of the show Yes Because we were We were divided into Basically f- Three storylines This mm. season yep. Yep. And Isaac was m- The main One of the main ones One of the yes. main ones For yeah. sure uh, And he didn't have to share it With anybody else Yeah Oh I guess four storylines If he include If he include Share with his demons Correct correct yeah Well and the Captain, yeah, yeah. The ship, yeah. Well, if you include the storyline going on in the in a in the vampire castle, that's four storylines, mm. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Sure. So really, really good. Uh, the introduction of the new characters have been quite good. I think Saint Germain was an interesting kind of like, um, Bill Nye, right? side character. Is it was it Bill Nye? Yeah, it's Bill Nye. Oh, yeah, nice. Okay, yeah. so like, it, uh, one of the more interesting side characters. I like the introduction of Lenoir, especially. Yep. I thought mm. she had a really, really great. I was just telling Hidze, like, her, her diplomacy is like textbook negotiation tactics, right? Mm. Uh, and so good. So, so good. The way she just kind of played Hector. Yeah. Um, you know. Um, but overall, extremely beautiful. Soundtrack is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, they're not afraid to allow some scenery chewing here and there. Yes. Uh, which I think is fitting of a, of an Alice yeah. story. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. I mean, like, I've got no complaints. I'm curious to see where else this goes. I think um, they've taken the time to focus on uh, after the battle at Bralia, right? Like, yeah. taken some time to focus on individual um, conflicts and struggles and eventually building up into probably another large-scale uh, yeah. conflict again where we will get to see all the action and, and stuff. So, I'm pretty excited and I think it was a great season, actually. Yeah, I mean, I loved it too. I mean, it wasn't quite perfect yeah. but I was kind of too busy soaking up the the cosmic horror and carnage and, Ooh, uh, and the sex yes. and debauchery to to really care about any of the nitpicks yeah. la. that and, particular um, montage of mm. fighting with demons and the sex and all of that at yeah. the same time reminded me a lot of uh, Requ- Requiem yeah, yeah, the, the drug taking and yeah, the, the drug sex, yeah, and, yeah. That, right? and the yeah. horror. Wow, I, I so think good. That particular sequence, uh, well, the action in general kind of remains a highlight of the season. Mm. It features a lot of brutal, intense, kinetic, dynamic fight scenes that we've uh, what the most, uh, the yeah. most dynamic that we've seen so far. It's yeah. all, I don't know what the word is. Metal. I think the word is metal. It's it's freaking metal as fuck. <laughs> uh. 
and and the epic sequence you're talking about in the penultimate episode, which is you know intercuts two separate epic battles. Yep. And with two separate, with two separate steamy sex scenes, very well done. Very well done. So uh, yeah. Um, but beyond that, also, I think Castlevania is also the rare adult animated series that you know like to take a breath and sit down and lets its characters have long, difficult philosophical conversations yeah. about the world they live in and yeah. their place within it. Mm-hmm. And it considers like the theology and and the politics of power in in very thoughtful ways. Um, very few adult metal kind of like <laughs> uh, shows like this like would take. A risk in like letting characters sit for 10 minutes and just talk about these things yeah and I think in that vein um, Castlevania is very much like the medium that they chose it is very anime oh yeah <laughs> extremely yeah. anime um, despite the fact that I mean other than and production IG who, who does the animation uh, I mean Alice just leaned into it mm. right like the whole idea like without a lot of the corny tropes or without the fan service right there's nothing that's um uh, inefficient or wasted. Yeah. Yeah. In in terms of the storytelling, so good, so so good. Yeah. Um. And I think running at ten episodes as opposed to season two's uh, eight or season one's uh four. four uh, the series is able to take advantage of the additional real estate to to proceed at a more deliberate pace than previous yeah. seasons to really flesh out everything. Exactly. Um, now that you have more people to introduce, also. Mm, sure. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and virtually every episode still contains at least one great action set piece to keep your attention. Yep. yep. But there is a slower, more philosophical undercurrent running through the season. There's a lot of introspection, a lot of debates. It's a it's a kind of testament to like you were saying, like of Warren Ellis's writing. Yeah. That the I conversations. See. So deep, never, so, yeah. ne- never feel ponderous. Mm. Yeah, it's quite, it's quite they, amazing. Like, they had this ability to like tell, okay, it's time to move on now. Sure, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, stop talking. Let's go. We've done the chin stroking. Let's <laughs> yeah. do the chin punching. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and every character mostly is fascinating, and every character has compelling motivations and worldviews. All very different worldviews, also. Mm. Um, even new concepts like you know the the infinite corridor, which appears to be a transdimensional portal yeah. through space time, is such a awe inspiring idea. Uh, and I think Castlevania Season 3 overall is just more ambitious uh, charting new territory for the series' ongoing narrative while mm. taking the time to really examine its lead characters and uh, largely places them on different paths, yeah. you know. Um, while the bloody action and monstrous behemoths are still a constant presence, the video game adaptation isn't afraid to take more storytelling risks, you know, as yep. it forges ahead way beyond the original source material. Mm. Uh, a great dazzling animation, vibrant and fun, you know. I'm rating this an 8 out of 10. Uh, how, uh, concluding thoughts for you guys? Yeah, yeah it's an 8 out of 10 for me as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I really thoroughly enjoyed this season. Uh, I Predictions for where they're going to go from here. Wow. I, I personally well, the, think that it has the potential to be a really long-running series. Yeah. Mm. I mean, there's a whole bunch of generals and queens and whatever still out mm-hmm. there. Yep. Yeah. More well, with political the infinite corridor, intrigue. I wouldn't be surprised if we get some, like, um, old ones coming into the picture. Maybe. Because, yeah. like, the kind of horror that we are experiencing, um, that they've yeah. shown right now, yeah. is very in line with that. There's a whole um, slew of European uh, knights, knight, knight orders, and all that, that are around. You know, you can introduce the Ottomans also. Mm. Don't you feel like this is a, this feels so a lot like this is the most Game of Thrones season? Where ev- ev- yeah. everybody had their own storyline yeah. they, they never quite diverge but you know they will eventually yeah. eventually yeah. Yeah. yeah but not yet uh. let's, yeah. let's be patient and it's it. fine yeah, yeah. This, um, to revise that statement this was when Game of Thrones was good yes <laughs> the, the good Game of Thrones seasons yeah. like yeah. season 2 and 3 yeah. this is before you know Park 4 had to close down oh yeah yeah uh. oh spoilers for Westworld I'm so sorry <laughs> guys you know that you know that yeah it's not a spoiler everybody knows that Park 4 has to close down <sighs> oh 
Spoilers uh, Come on well, yeah. More spoilers more But I don't see Westworld Is kind of killing it At the moment yeah. uh, Next up We'll be talking about The Invisible Man You guys get to see it In cinemas before It shut down I did I did not Unfortunately yeah. Hadi did you? Uh, no I did not also Okay yeah, um, so This is your let that, This is like A quick hits I guess Yeah uh, I guess we were leading Into quick hits Slightly, slightly before, before Before Alter Carbon uh, Which yeah. we'll be talking about later um, Invisible Man If you don't know It's actually now available On VOD already mm. And if it's been released So you can download it You can buy it on iTunes Amazon Prime Voodoo uh, Or whatever your Preferred pre- Preferred lah. Yeah, lah. If you don't feel like Going out to buy the Blu-ray Which is also available You can buy it online So we heard a lot of good things About this movie Yeah yeah So uh, a bit a bit of background On this first uh, mm. The new Invisible Man movie Is the result of a major Cost correction by Universal Studios mm. uh, Which at one point Was planning an MCU-esque Series of uh, interconnected movies The in Dark f- Universe Called The Dark Universe uh, Based on its classic Horror monster movie Properties yeah. uh, The first of these Was uh, the 27 Tom Cruise uh, movie The Mummy The Mummy um, Which also ended up Being its last <laughs> uh, When it severely Underperformed At the box office um, Plans for a big budget Temple feature Starring A-list actors Based on properties Like, Russell Crow. like Frankenstein mm. Which was supposed To have been uh, Russ- Javier Bardem Russell uh, Crowe's Dr. Jekyll and Hyde Correct and The Invisible Man Was supposed to be Johnny Depp uh, Etc were, were subsequently scrapped and, and Universal YC decided To scale back Its plans mm-hmm. Its new approach Now focus on More modestly Budgeted Updated takes On properties mm-hmm. Crafted by Experienced Horror filmmakers mm. uh, to They're imp- not action guys lah. No 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 They're not making A superhero movie Again mm. They're just Making horror movies mm. You know uh, A bit like what Penny Dreadful did Mm. You know, which is good. Uh, Penny Dreadful did the Dark Universe way better than this. <laughs> uh, but to help implement this plan, uh, it first uh, teamed up Blumhouse, which is great because Blumhouse is horror is their thing. That's yeah. all they do day in day out. La. They just do horror only. La. So this is the first round of their partnership. First up is Lee Winnell, mm-hmm. who is the director of Upgrade, mm-hmm. uh, which we reviewed last year. We yep. really liked. Uh, he also uh, did uh, Saw and he did Insidious. Uh, so these are all really good horror movies, at least modern horror classics, lah. Yeah. So um, his ingenious reinvention of this classic sci-fi horror is is for the Me Too era. Um, easily one of the year's most tense and terrifying movies. Loved this movie a lot. Um, Elizabeth Moss, Elizabeth Moss, uh, turns in a tour de force performance here. Yeah. A uh, truly sound the best work of her career. And, and if you think about The Handmaid's Tale and, and Mad Men, you know that's quite a statement. Yeah. Uh, she really digs deep to play a, a woman who's abusive and recently deceased, or so she thinks. Wait, wait. wait. You mean she's being abused? Yes. Okay. So she plays uh, a woman uh, who's abusive or recently deceased, supposedly huh? boyfriend. Huh? Oh, okay. Uh, returns to torment her as the titular invisible man. How did it become invisible? Uh, let me just say that this is like a masterclass in mounting tension. Uh-huh. This amazing film is just is is just chock full of nerve wracking suspense and dread. It's also an emotionally visceral look at the damage left behind by an abusive relationship. It's a clever spin on a classic that incorporates very primal fears, you know, the, 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 the fear of being disbelieved, the fear of seeming insane, the fear of being watched and followed. And we are watching the psychological unraveling of a gaslighted woman. Yeah. And it's agonizing. She's trying to tell people that her boyfriend is back. She's invi- he's invisible. He's trying to kill me. She's not trying to kill her. Oh. Trying to make her look insane. Oh, gaslighting! Oh, that's what you said. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I mean, of course, lah. Like, not her friends, her family, turn her backs on what, what they believe to be a crazy woman. You need to be in a psychiatric hospital. Exactly, which is exactly what his plan is, lah. Yeah, la. Like, fuck with her, you know. She, he doesn't want to kill her. So good. Yeah, he, he, he just wants to, cause she ran away from him. Yeah. He wants to make her, uh, like, feel like like life is nothing without him. <gasps> he wants to get her back, essentially. Yeah, lah, lah, lah. 
Uh, and it does all of this on a micro budget. $7 million budget. $7 million? Yeah. Just using cam- uh, clever camera work to show empty spaces. They just shoot empty spaces and it lets your mind do the work. Let's show you a couch. Oh, fuck. Is there someone on the couch? We you know, don't and know. And you're like, oh, fuck. What the fuck? And then like, I suddenly get getting tensed up. And I just realized that Lee Winner just shot a couch. <laughs> <laughs> but it's how they shot the couch. It, yeah, that yeah. Makes it's, it's, no, it's like in certain moments, they just show you like an empty corridor. And like... Oh fuck! No wonder you're so cheap, like they're just shooting nothing, you know. <laughs> and then you they let like your brain do the work, yeah. you know. It's it's okay. Look, I'm not gonna say that Lee Wenell is Hitchcock. <laughs> I'm gonna say that Lee Wenell is Hitchcockian in his approach. Ah, okay, <laughs> that's a whole other thing. <laughs> because I've said this many times, so like, oh, Lee Wenell is like Hitchcock, and people start to think that oh, he's as good. No, I'm saying that his techniques is Hitchcockian because Hitchcockian, he, Alfred, very, yeah, 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 he likes to let your mind do the work, mm. like subtlety, uh, more of suspense rather than like jump scares. We're not saying that he's the king of horror. Yes, yes. I'm I'm just saying that like he does a lot of like uh let your mind do the work lah, the Hitchcock tricks. Uh the less is more approach is something that Spielberg kinda copied from Hitchcock for Jaws mm-hmm. uh because you never quite see the shark. The shark. Right? Uh and it works again here. It's the same technique. This is a, a I think a must see modern horror thriller classic. Mm. Uh very timely also with its themes, very frightening, very poignant. Uh the direction and production and sound are all standing, but really it's like Elizabeth Moss. Who, and her acting, who uh, owns this movie, right? She has and to act to nothing. I, true, yeah. true, but a lot of you know, um, superhero movies do that, do that also, screen, yeah. yeah. But like uh, Elizabeth Moss, fucking like owns this movie, la. uh, I just kind of hope one day that Elizabeth Moss gets to play someone who is not being like abused, abused. You know, <laughs> she's she's a very expressive <laughs> from Mad Men to like. Well, she wasn't quite abused in Mad Men, and, la, like, uh, but she semi, was la, semi, like marginalized, marginalized as a woman in the yeah, advertising yeah. industry. And then she gets it. And then the then worst she in gets. Handmaid's Tale uh, Routinely raped In a Handmaid's Tale <laughs> Exactly You know uh, So just like You know Maybe let her do a rom-com Or something I don't know <laughs> I wouldn't I'm mind just, that yeah. I'm just so sad For Elizabeth Moss You just want to see her In a happy movie in hap- Yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> But she's so good At being yeah, tortured So good She's good She's she's like the, the LeBron James Of like tortured women acting Yeah <laughs> uh, the, So this movie Despite its very short run Made a hundred million dollars Damn On a seven million dollar budget just in that one week. And let's say we double for uh, marketing. One month, one month. Yeah. Even if we double for marketing, right? Yeah. That's still a lot of money. Oh, but the seven million includes marketing. Fuck off. Yes. The actual <laughs> filming budget was five million. Oh shit. Yeah. So uh okay, a lot of people are gonna say that, oh, but the mummy made hundred and thirty million. Yeah, but how much the, was but it? But mummy was for? made for two hundred million dollars. Yeah, it lost seventy million. Yeah. This is seven million dollars that it made a hundred million. And Blumhouse always does this, lah. Yeah. They do things for like Shoestring, b- between like five to fifteen million dollar budgets that make hundred million. Hundred million is not much. But when that but is your budget, yeah. you know. Scale up lah. Finances, man. Yeah. Uh and it really speaks to how horror is better when it's cheaper, I think. Like in the hands of creative director who knows how to manipulate your mind. Yeah. With like very lo-fi things and make it feel more real. Then, then it becomes more yeah like real and also it makes it more satisfying in the end. Yes, yes. Oh yeah. shit! Sorry, I just put like a cigarette in my coffee, <laughs> and I did not, I did I not was, realize that. I was like, what is he doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll 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 take care of this later. As uh my co-host um talk about the new season of uh, Altered, Altered Carbon, Carbon, which also has uh an enemy. Attached it does. to it, uh, re- yes, yeah. re-sleeved. Uh, uh, so it's a cell shading uh, enemy. Yes. Uh, yeah. So what do you guys think about the the? Well, well, let's talk about both, lah. You talk about live action first. Yeah, let's do live action first. Season two, and then let's talk about re-sleeved. Well, the live action was interesting. <laughs> it was interesting what? at parts. <laughs> um, I liked it 
like six out of six out of the ten scenes, uh, I would say. Like every episode, like six scenes are good and four scenes are like, like weird. What what is going on? Yeah, yeah like what I is happening? That a bit. Um Anthony Mackie, I feel, is a very good uh wait, how to say it? Again mixed back. Because he can be really good at times. And then at other times because he's so charismatic. And so yeah. easy, you know, to like yeah. like him. Okay. But then other times you're just like, what the fuck is happening? I have a huge issue with Anthony, Anthony Mackie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, he, there, there is no question about his pedigree as an actor. Yes. Right? Especially for genre stuff. Yeah, I mean, he can act. I mean, he can, like, he's, he's yeah. a capable actor. He does action scenes very, very well. I just feel he was mi- miscasted for the role of Takeshi Kovacs, Kovacs, right? Yeah. Yes. I, I had a huge problem with that because I do know the moments that you're talking about where he's yeah. extremely charming, but that's Anthony Mackie being Anthony exactly, Mackie. Exactly, that's the problem. And he's not being, yes. he's not being yes. Takeshi, right? Yes. But I also don't think that he has that. Uh, and I, we know he, they hated Joel Kinnaman's. Oh, Joel Kinnaman, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's Joel Kinnaman. Even his Robocop. What? <laughs> Even his Robocop. I mean, I his mean, Robocop sure. was, Yeah. <laughs> Right? I'm just very sarcastic. But yeah. I think <laughs> if you like the as, Robocop. as bad as as I mean, if, if we even if we go along this like as yeah. bad as Kinnaman's uh, portrayal of Takeshi Kovacs, like, he left an imprint on that character. Correct. Right. Yeah. That, uh, unfortunately, Anthony the Anthony brow furrowing, the yeah. very stoic. Yeah. Yeah. Anthony Mackie struggled to, to do that. Do that. Yes. Right. Because at the end of the day, right, we 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 have to stretch. We have to suspend our belief that at the end of the day, it's the same person in different bodies. Yes, right? exactly. And that doesn't come true at all, yeah. right? To put it, because I was watching, I watched, watched this season with my brother, mm-hmm. uh, who's a big fan of the first season. Mm-hmm. And he's just basically like, Anthony Mackie isn't cool enough. He doesn't play yeah, yeah, cool yeah, yeah, enough, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Like if you got like, okay, I don't know, I'm Sebastian Stan to do it instead. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Why are you bringing up the Captain America debate again? No, because, you know. It's so unrelated. I know, I know. But because you casted Anthony Mackie, I cannot but help. But let's say you casted Sebastian Stan instead. I feel Sebastian Stan could have done Stoic better. Sure, sure. yeah, yeah. That's all. Yeah, for sure. But he's, both of them are my Captain Americas, okay? Yes. So, I mean, like, that was the big problem. And I do understand, like, there's a, it's a bit more emotionally charged this time around. Yes. um, You know, Olaf's come back. And the stakes are... Uh, a bit higher this time round. I guess yes. Uh, and it's not so much of a like a personal struggle. Um, Jager, murder mystery. No more murder mystery. Got a bit, oh, murder mystery. Yeah. Got murder mystery at the beginning. The beginning. La. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like that. That kind of gets left at the wayside. Yes. Um, what I really did enjoy, however, is the side characters this time round. The side characters. Because Misty Knight comes back to kick some ass. And not I Misty Knight, really... but yes, she 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 she's damn yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, she's really really good. Uh, and I really enjoyed. She has her own her TV up. show, by the way. Really? She plays a judge. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. In some, like, CBS show or something. Like, judging like Amy or something like that. Uh? Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, I didn't know that. Okay, cool. Cool, yeah. But yes, um, I really like that. Again, Poe is an excellent yeah. character study Poe's this cool. time around. Uh, the new AI. Yep. Uh, I like Poe's character arc also. Yeah, it, it was really, really yeah, good. I think, good. like, um, very, very well acted. <laughs> very, very... Like... Um, well, onto AIs again, but so I, I, it's such a sympathetic yeah. character, right? I like the political intrigue that Harlan's world was going through with all these uh, maths getting murdered. Yeah. Right? So that that whole like uh, maths always had this idea of immortality getting fucked in it, you know, yeah. in the ass like, by this like unknown killer who's yeah. just killing them outright. Yeah. Where they cannot back up and all that. So that's quite interesting. This classist kind of like thing that's going on, I loved it. Mm. Yeah. Um, but just Anthony Mackie lah, like right. 
I I like I fall, I find myself falling in love with him, and then at the same time I'm like, yeah. So <sighs> we again have a double sleeving, right? Mm. Again, and and they bring back the original Takeshi, like his yeah, birth at the scene, beginning, right? Yeah, and then you it's um. There are these moments where they share the screen together. Yeah. And they're having conversations. Yeah. And you realize how stark a difference between is. the two. Yep. Right? That you didn't kind of experience with like two draw kinemans at the same time. Mm. Right? Um and yeah, I just I just couldn't kind of shake that, you know. Yeah. And I, I guess I like that they tried to I mean they, they, they added like new like um things that, that his new sleeve could do. Right, like you yeah. know, like the the summoning oh, of his guns and all the, that stuff. Cool lah, you know, cool lah. But barely. Used. But then, yeah, exactly. You introduce all these things and you barely do anything with it. Yeah, and I mean, like it di- really didn't seem like the combat. Pro- I didn't feel like the action sequences in this season were as good. Yeah, definitely. Not. Uh, I feel like you definitely lost something without um, I can't remember the actress' name, but Raylin. Mm. Uh, because Raylin brought a lot of fire. Yeah. Uh, to the action sequences yep. that she was in. Um, but she did But yeah Right Yeah. As far as we know As far yeah, yeah. yeah As far as we know It's um, a new showrunner So do you guys feel that It felt different It did Yeah okay. Yeah. Uh, but there was a sleekness to it That It was more sleek this season though Yeah And it was I think shorter uh, Like it felt every episode Was a lot shorter So it felt more Like it was easier to watch Than last season Yes because last season There was a lot of scenery Like too. oh my god Hurry up yeah. let's go I do feel like They carry on with The world building is still Good is still good Yeah it's still good um, Prop design Costumes On, on point still um, the, Just the look and feel of it Looks yeah. really really The good. cyberpunk thing Is working Yeah, yeah. Um, But I do feel like I was hoping for a bit more I think mm. like Knowing that uh, Fall Chris was coming back mm-hmm. This season I wanted a bit of a deeper dive into exactly what the envoys could do, which I feel they didn't quite deal with in season one. In season one. one, correct. And then now in season two, it just... Also, yeah, they just like right pass it. And then this whole scene, they're all surrounding him and they go through the trial and I'm just like, dude, like, really? What? So what is so great about envoys? I don't yeah, get it now. Like, it doesn't... It doesn't... <laughs> because that hasn't been communicated. Yeah, they've been building up envoys, envoys as being this like badass, like military great... Like yeah. guys with superpowers, right? Like it kind of borrows from the whole like Dune idea of of um your your mental mental yeah, assassins, yeah. right? Yeah. Right, where you basically like bring you you have predictive abilities because you notice everything. Yeah, this right? didn't happen. But there's so many times where like yeah. Takeshi just doesn't notice the shit, yeah. and it becomes a driving plot. It yeah. uh, drives home the plot. So, uh, uh. how about sleeve though? Okay, so for the live action, I'll say that I give it a six out of ten. Uh. I will give it a 6 out of 10. Yeah. yeah but so, I'm not watching it. Yeah, don't yeah, have yeah, to. Yeah, sure. Really, don't have okay. to. Okay. So, let's talk about Reese. You're not missing anything, lah, really. Yeah, you're not missing anything. Let's talk about Reese Leaf. Yeah. Um, so, Reese Leaf came out two weeks after... Yeah, 19th. 19th, right? Yeah, so two weeks after um, we got season two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and immediately, the fact that it is in Japanese... It's awesome. ...makes it such a phenomenally great leap in quality. Huh. Right? Uh... Again, yeah. uh, as per Netflix, um, we've got more shell uh, cell shading. Uh, so you've got your pseudo like kind of 3D animation going on here. Um, there were moments in time where I did feel like the animation let it down. The voice acting, however, is phenomenal. Yeah. And the action is insane. For shell shading, yeah. Right? Like, I mean, we've seen a lot. I, I think like com- comparable to ult- the Ultraman um, series that we saw. Yes. Right? So really, really good 
uh, action sequences. Correct. Uh, and um, there were a few like kind of behind the scenes that they did with the director just to kind of like um, he explained why he chose to do things in a certain way, which I was pretty interested in. Uh, but the whole movie or short film uh, being in Japanese lends an incredible gravitas to the world. Yeah, it, it, it reminded me a bit of like Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. Like that kind of like obvious uh, what uh, cyberpunk kind of thing. La. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. I don't know. I, I love the action. I did love the character, the new girl that was introduced, Holly, is it? Uh, the dragon tattoo girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she the girl who makes it. the dragon tattoo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I, 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 I left a bit unsatisfied, I guess. It end. was... I mean, it was a side story, yeah. right? This would be an OVA. Super side story, uh, man. For sure. I do think that... Um, and I like how easy he is to be... Like, how Takeshi Kovacs is like... How rich people can just... Hey, go get that guy. <laughs> like, just sleep him in. We need his help. <laughs> yeah, we need his help. I mean, like, obviously... Uh, uh, it's always rich people, lah, because they're the only ones who can afford it. Lah. Yeah. Um, but um, it's a Yakuza arc. Um, yeah, it's a Yakuza arc. Basically, it's a side story. This takes place... Um, this takes place three years, I think, after after mm-hmm. Falkris dies. Yes. Right? Uh, and um, it reunites the brother and sister again uh, on an adventure where they actually may or may not know that they mm. are the siblings. Uh, which brings to mind, like, how do you know? Like, how do you know if someone is some who they say they are? Exactly. Right? Uh, but I do think, like, some great voice acting. I think the guy who plays Takeshi this time around Makes more sense. Sleeve, makes so much more but sense. But that's because, you know, you, you can kind of use the animation to help portray certain qualities you want. Yeah, like, for sure. Takeshi but Kovacs. I think it played it to a T. Right? It did. I yeah. really did enjoy that. And it just makes so much more sense. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And uh, we once again get a corridor fight scene. Oh, of course. <laughs> a very good corridor fight <laughs> a scene. A very good corridor fight scene. To be fight fair. Scene, uh, which... Yeah, so if you don't want to watch Altered Carbon, you can just watch this anime. Yeah. So, Kit and I had a small discussion about, um, about the fact that... Uh, um, it's a lot like anime tricks. You know? Yes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The whole idea that it works better. The world simply works better. It's just because what you can explore in an animation, you know, and you're not restricted by a lot of things. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I really enjoy Imagination it. run wild kind of thing. So for me, I mean, it's not that much higher no. than season two, but I'll give it a 7.5. Okay. Right? Yeah. Just because I feel like I would totally watch an Altered Carbon anime over, over the, the Altered Carbon life. Altered yeah, Carbon yeah, yeah. Live Same. Interesting. Is the anime an... Anthology? No, no, no. It's just one, no, one, it's one just, movie. As far uh, as we know, it's just one. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like Animatrix. In, they have small stories cool. in yeah. one. Yeah. But I thought like of all things on the carbon, Anthology would be... Exactly. I uh, hope uh, given it uh, Eventually, yeah. 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 I wouldn't mind seeing that. Because yeah. like it, it was really good. Yeah. Like, and it would be quite good. I mean, why the Animatrix is a good comparison? Good compar- it would be interesting to do it in that style where you have different kind of animation styles. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. One. Because of the world of Altered Carbon, yeah. you know, you have mm. such a beautiful, vibrant world that you can really explore with different kind of animation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, who knows? We'll see. How would you rate uh, Resleeve again? Uh, Resleeve, I'll, I mean, uh, you gave 7.5. Yeah, 7.5. I'll give it a 7. Yeah. 7. Okay. Okay. So it sounds like it's worth a watch. Yeah. Way better than 
the live action. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool, cool, very nice. Uh, next up, uh, we'll go into hard hits. A eh, hard hits. Eh. That's our other. <laughs> that's, that's a our wrestling podcast. <laughs> yeah, where's Shafiq? <laughs> but we WrestleMania 36 this weekend. Uh, yeah. we'll be we'll be up there. Uh, quick hits, which is a section where we talk about well, I talk about all the stuff that Michael has not seen, some of the smaller titles out there, or just stuff that they haven't been able to watch due to time constraints. Mm-hmm. Uh, first one I would like to talk about is actually a pretty big one. Uh, it's Pixar's latest effort. It stars uh, Tom Holland and Chris Pratt as the Lightfoot Brothers. They are elves. Oh, they're the elves. Elves, oh, yeah. I thought okay. they were trolls. I mean, me too. Yeah, they're uh, blue. They're elves, apparently. Uh, oh, right. they, they live in a world that is kind of like ours, but inhabited by fantasy creatures like centaurs and mm-hmm, unicorns mm-hmm. and dragons. So there used to be magic in this fantasy world. It was uh, just like all the other Western fantasies. But then technology now. improved and all that. Magic that that the prologue explains. But then technology came along, you know, mm. and, and that was much much easier. Rather than learning a spell to cast light, flip a light switch, we invented electricity. So people abandoned magic, and magic uh. went away. So you cut to the present in present day elf suburbia, where mystical creatures are just leading average lives. Like they're watching TV. They're going like to school us. like us exactly. Flying unicorns have become like dumpster diving pests. You know things like that. Dra- dragons have devolved into domestic. Like pets. pets You know things like that lah. Uh, So it, Okay uh, So the plot begins There's just like table setting Yeah 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 yeah. The plot begins in earnest On Ian uh, Who is one of the Tom elf Holland. brothers uh, Tom Holland's 16th birthday Which is when his late father Arranged for him And his older brother To get a gift That he left behind for them A wizard staff And a spell That would let him return To the land of the living For one, one day, day okay. To see how much they've grown Yeah The spell however I mean they're not Experienced magicians They don't know How to do magic Because technology Has technology, taken over yeah. So yeah. the spell goes awry <gasps> and, and only brings back Half of their father Oh no The lower half Oh no uh, so Well good for the mum True <laughs> But the mum Didn't know that yet uh. so, um, <laughs> okay. so now the brothers Have only 24 hours To find a gem That they need to com- That they need To complete the spell And spend just a little bit Of time with their father uh, so they bring his disembodied legs around with them. Aww. Uh, to it's a breakfast with Bernie. Uh, weekend at Bernie's. Weekend, sorry. Uh, to make it breakfast easier, at Tiffany's. Uh, sorry. they attach a stuffed torso <laughs> to his waist okay. uh, and then leads him around with a leash. So yes, onward is 100% Weekend at Bernie's for <laughs> kids. Yeah. Um, where the movie excels isn't the world building or the fantasy side gags. It's the great dynamic between the brothers. I yeah. think Pixar is very good at yeah. doing emotional dynamics, yeah. especially family dynamics. Yeah. So Bali is a bit of a burnout who loves power metal and tabletop role-playing games. Aww. So in Onward, um, the fantasy RPGs are actually historical. Um, and Ian, meanwhile, is mostly defined by being nervous and wanting friends and an embarrassment over his older brother. Uh-huh. Uh, so Bali knows all about magic, yet he has no idea how to use the stuff his father left behind for him because he doesn't have the, the gift. Ian is a science guy. He, he but he has the gift But he has the gift uh, uh, But he doesn't know The first thing about Casting spells mm. So they have to work together Bali knows the spells Ian can cast it uh, oh, So as, as they go On their quest together Ian and Bali Learn to kind of Trust and respect each other Which is kind of the, the arc of the movie While each comes to Understand the way That the other has Learned to cope With their father's death mm. um, So the stuff about The brothers dealing With the emotional baggage And their grief Works super well Pixar, Pixar level good uh, if there's one thing that Pixar knows how to do is to make you cry and, and yep I did tear up during the film's climax Okay. Uh, but where it fails is almost everything else um, the plot is a bit forgettable uh, the jokes are don't quite land um, mm. when worst of all despite its mashup setting onward doesn't ever quite feel magical it's a world built purely to, felici- to facilitate some jokes mm. uh, Not an immersive window Into another place You want to fall into it Ah okay um, It's not like Coco Or Inside Out Yeah um, I was going to ask Whether it, it's like 
Coco. It's all earnest enough to work and it's delivered with a sincerity that makes it hard to say it's bad. bad. It's not. Uh, it's fine. But uh, I guess a perfectly good film. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, when it comes to Pixar being good or even being very good, it's not good enough. Feels like a disappointment. Yeah. Okay. Because like. I, if Onward came out on, on DreamWorks, for example, this would be hailed as like a masterpiece. The next track. The next track, you know. But the fact that it came out on Pixar, people are just like, ah, it's a mid, mid-level Pixar movie. It's yeah. kind of disappointing. Um, Wait, what's the last Pixar movie that got released? Coco. Coco, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, Coco is... Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a high bar. Man. That's a super high bar. Well, man. I mean, Pixar always has a high bar. Exactly. So, you know, if it's not Coco, then it's Inside Out. And yeah. if it's not Inside Out, then it's Toy Story 4. Toy Story 4 was the last one, I'm sorry. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they're all very high level, high level, high level yeah, movies. Yeah. Like. The, this, the expectation is really, really, really. These being, this is a seven out of ten movie. Wow, that's what I'm. I'm gonna rate it, and it's a good movie. Just disappointing for Pixar. Yeah, that's the problem. We set such a high bar. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. This is more of a Cars level movie. Yeah, which is Disney slash Pixar, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, still, it's a Pixar movie that is okay. Cars? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with Cars. There's nothing wrong with uh, this movie. But there was something wrong with Planes. <laughs> true, true. But there was, the, the, there was the direct to DVD one. <laughs> yeah. Planes yeah. 2, the one that was a firefighter. Okay, no, man. Yeah. Sorry. Although, admittedly, this is also direct to VOD. La. Yeah, because of because COVID-19. Not, not because of the quality of the movie. <laughs> yeah, okay. Due to extenuating <laughs> circumstances. Alright, but how's the voice acting, though? Voice acting is not good. Uh, I oh. mean, not, it, not in to say that they don't emote well. It's just that Tom Holland and Chris Pratt are not voice actors, so they just uh. sound like Tom Holland and Chris Pratt. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I figured also. Because when I saw the trailer, I was like, yeah, it sounds like Tom Holland, Chris yeah, Pratt. Yeah, uh, yeah. But they nailed the emotional moment. Because okay. they are good actors, they, they can are. emotion. Yeah. They just cannot do the voices, lah. Or understand? Yeah, yeah. which is fine. Which yeah, is fine. Okay. yeah I, I can, I can. Let so it seven out of ten. La. Seven out of ten. Yeah. Uh, it's released online early, available on VOD now. Go check it out if you want to. It's actually worth a watch. Just okay. you know, uh, and it, if you have time, of course you have time. Uh, go watch this. <laughs> yeah. Next one is something I'm quite actually very excited yes. about. Uh, it's called the platform. Uh-huh. Uh, the platform is on Netflix right now. Okay. Uh, it takes place in a dystopian future or present. I'm not actually sure whether it's. So they all are present. on this platform. All right. Okay. Let me explain the premise. Yeah, please tell me this. They I'm so confused when people explain this to me. They are inside a vertical prison system. Okay. Where everyone has to share food from a single platform that lowers one floor at a time. Oh, okay. Each inmate is assigned a floor and there are over 300 levels. Oh, no. Uh, with folks at the top obviously getting the first pick of the food and then the scraps are further down. La. So the lower you are on the ladder, the more likely it is you will starve because there will be less food. Um, as hunger and desperation continue to manifest in horrendous ways, yeah. uh, one man, the inmate that we follow, tries to change the system, but it may not be enough. So the premise itself is kind of this robust allegory for capitalism and the fallacy of trickle-down economics, mm. uh, okay. akin to a bit of like Snowpiercer meets the cube. Okay. Um, it's also uh, it's it's very smart, but it's also goddamn gruesome. Uh, featuring some of the most uh, disgustingly outrageous scenes I've seen in uh, recent memory. All right. Uh, this film is this imaginative, carnivorous, claustrophobic, cannibalistic nightmare. Uh, and it looks at all of the ways that the privileged can prosper, but it's also actually more interested in how the downtrodden devour each other when trapped in inequity. Um, what makes it interesting is that every month, right, mm-hmm. your level changes randomly. So you can go to the top or you can go all the way to the bottom. So you could be living comfortably on level 6 yeah. for one month and then you can be dropped to level 218 the next month. You just <sighs> never know. You know. Oh it's, no. it's random. Okay. And then you find yourself in level 50 the following month, you're middle class, so to speak. And, so, and the characters who have been there for a while know to eat, to eat as much as you can because you never know what will happen next month. Oh. You either gorge now or you starve later, but you yeah. need the calories, right? Yeah. Um, 
So whenever you're assigned an upper level, you must gorge because you might need that for the, for next, the month. next month. You never know, right? Yeah. But despite the fact that they all know what it's like to live at the top, what it's like to live in the middle, what it's like to live in the bottom, people only look out for themselves. Uh, to the people on level 35, they look down on level 36. They're like, oh, you fucking like, idiots, you know, you, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Then they like piss on their food or after they're done and then like send it down. Uh, and then they blame the people at the bottom for causing trouble when they're hungry. Because you know you get punished for like when there are riots and people eat each other things like that 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 happens. So everybody get punished. Uh yeah. So it, like you look down on the people at the bottom. It's like oh why are you doing this? You know it affects the rest. At the same time, those people are also blaming the people on top above them, yeah. for like uh for like not gi- for not giving us enough to eat. So modern society lah basically. It's essentially like, you're yeah. you're blaming the people at the bottom. You're blaming people at the top. You know it's in the end you have to take some personal responsibility yeah. for how the why society like this, functions this way lah. Mm. Um, it's very interesting It shows that people Are too often trapped In their own circumstance To think about others mm. Even when they understand How the others live Because they have been At level 28 Or level 300 And they have been At level 50 And they have been At level 1 um, The thing is That the food offered Is more than enough For everybody More than enough To feed everyone But people rarely Spread the wealth And uh, it has nothing To do with being evil It's about circumstance And an uncertain future And how much Can we blame the system And how much Is it our own fault and our own responsibility to, to to adhere to morals when things get desperate, lah. Mm. You know, um, there are a lot of different ways to live through an experience like this, an experience that the platform clearly suggests is kind of decipher for society at large. And mm. you can just accept it and take what you can for yourself, or you can try to talk to those around you into solidarity, spreading the wealth around. Yeah. Uh, or you can coerce others into taking their fair share by threatening them. Some people, like for example, they just jump on the platform, then they go down, 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 and they like they they stab people who try to take more, like just to ensure that everyone has enough. Or of course, you could just go on a murderous rampage and eat your cellmate. Uh, <laughs> there's a, if there's no food, if there's no food, yeah, like yeah. a lot of the people at the bottom, that's what they resort to because it's just no choice. Uh, it's a very potent movie, very interesting. Yes, mm. extremely. That's a good premise. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Cool. It's one of the most like visceral allegories mm. in recent like. History mm. So good hmm. I got a lot of like I mean it's the cube Because you know uh, Futuristic prison system yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But also a lot like Snowpiercer Because levels of uh, Privilege So closer to the cube Less to demolition uh, Demolition man uh. I mean not at all Demolition uh, man yeah. actually yeah, okay, so it's, just, it's just set within that cell Yeah Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just rewatched Demolition Man That's why Three seashells la. Yeah Like who needs toilet paper right? Yeah You know <laughs> The people in the future know You wash your ass With the three seashells <laughs> Exactly yeah. Uh, sorry if you haven't seen Demolition Man It's a really good movie <laughs> Surprisingly It holds up man huh? It holds it kind up Kind of right Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, should do, we should do a Retro, a review. retro, retro review. review I think when, when we reach May right We probably might need to <laughs> yeah, First one Demolition Man Demolition Man uh, Because of all the non-touching <laughs> Oh yeah The non-touching uh, The people washing their ass yeah. And everything uh, But you know You know it's a dystopia When Taco Bell Is the most popular fast food yeah, no, uh, They won the fast food wars bro. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, next up, I'll be talking about Gretel and Hansel. Yeah, it's a new take on the grim fairy tale that is very, very grim. Mm-hmm. Uh, feeling a bit like it's the young adult version of A24's art house horror, mm. but for young adults, Gretel and Hansel is like the cinematic cousin to the witch or or the the, the witch, oh. uh, however you want to pronounce it. We all know the story, but this is a really thoughtful revision of the classic fairy tale, relying on a. Sorry, sorry. Who wrote this fairy tale again? Is this a uh, one of those uh, Brad- Brothers Grimm? Yeah, uh, one of those guys, right? Okay, Brothers Grimm. Okay, yeah, not one of the specifically them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, yeah. 
we but we all know the story of Hansel Gretel. Uh, this is a very good revision on a classic. It, it has this very thick atmosphere of dread, an internal disquiet uh, rather than jump scares or or an external threat. Uh, it's v- it gorgeous. It has just the most beautiful cinematography. It has this woodsy production design to really drive home the unsettling re- unreality and brutality of the story. Uh, it has a heavy visual emphasis on like very symmetrical framing, and and stark contrast and lush use of like yellows and blues to kind of evoke subliminal horror. Uh, this movie like like lives and dies on atmosphere. It's a very atmosphere movie, and its uh, its atmosphere is so thick and dense and mesmerizing. I I really loved it. The movie has a very deliberate pace and a s- uh, of slow burning dread that is not made for a mainstream audience yeah. looking for more visceral truths and spills but for the thinking audience yeah. uh, it rewards your patience uh, there is a lot to love visually it's really like The Witch it's so okay. beautiful and and thematically in terms of performance and, and everything it's all wonderful Gretel is played by um, Sophia Lillis aka um, Beverly from It yeah. uh, who is having a very busy month I'll talk mm. about her next in I'm yeah. not okay with this um, but this is probably her best work okay. uh, of the month. Uh, it's largely pace maybe a problem for some. Because I, I know generally from the reaction to The Witch, a lot of people don't like that kind of stuff. Uh, but for me, like this is really, really good. I spent uh, the whole time savoring its uh, macabre occult mood. So I'm giving this a 7.5 out of 10. Ooh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And oh, I forgot to read the platform, which was an 8.5 for me. Ooh, even better. It's an 8 for me. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, next, I'll be talking about. Uh, speaking of Sophia Lillis, she mm. also stars in a new Netflix show called "I Am Not Okay with This." I, I got this. Yeah, yeah, it reunites her with her it co-star and a fellow Losers Club member, uh, Wyatt Olaf, mm. uh, who plays the character Stanley here, for a superpowered teen dramedy. Uh, it's written by the guy who wrote "The End of the Fucking World." Yeah. It's produced by the producers of Stranger Things, mm-hmm. and it stars the leads, the leads from it, as as I mentioned lah. So if this show sounds like a generic kind of mishmash trying to blend together. All the great teen genre shows in the past few years, yeah, you you be kind of right. Yep. Um, <laughs> I highly recommend that you read the indie comic that this was based on because that was uh, a bit more a bit more profound, a bit yep. more emotionally complex. Yep. But this just feels like the TV version of uh, of it feels like Law and Key. Actually, uh, yes. In a sense that Law and Key was also a mishmash of various other things. Yeah. 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 Uh, like some studio hits decided to copy and paste ideas and vibes from other shows. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, it can just kind of feel like that. Um, the series follows Sydney, played by Sophia Lillis, who is a fifteen-year-old mad at the world. Uh, whether it's because of the loss of her father, social isolation in high school, or an unrequited crush yeah. on her best friend Dina, played by Sophia Bryant. Uh, but suddenly Sydney discovers that her frustrations allow her to tap into a telekinetic power she she didn't know she had. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, the superpowers as metaphor for teenage out of control emotions, yeah. or specifically in this case, uh, a teen's hidden queerness, mm-hmm. is a kind of a time-tested formula that has been around since the X Men, yeah, uh, and, and can work wonderfully. Here though, the YA angst is a bit more compelling than the superhero stuff or the superpower stuff. Yeah, and and Sid. Uh, or what Sid may or not be me or may not be able to do with mind lah. Um, so I really like that aspect of it. I did more than the actual genre aspect of it. Yeah, I mean there wasn't much. Yeah, there wasn't much genre stuff to begin with. Um, which which I felt is a bit sad because the the comic itself has a good balance between both. Yeah. Right, and the exploration of both her powers and how it's linked to emotions, are, it's a lot more in depth than mm. what we ended up getting. Sure. Yeah. Um, here. Um, it's just kind of strange to me that now with lock and key and with and with um, I'm not okay with this. We're starting to see indie m- comics being adapted. Indie comics being adapted 
at the peril <laughs> at its own peril of course right yeah. and you're throwing like big names and like recognizable names and most of the time you'll say like these things will be oh yeah it should be good mm. it should be it should be okay but uh, again you know for the second time this year yeah we've gotten with beloved indie horror comics or indie indie genre comics yeah, yeah. another meh yeah. kind of thing I, even with end of fucking world season 2 <laughs> yes yeah uh, which kind of diverged from the comic like, because yeah. the comic didn't have a sequel yeah um, I, I did think I, I thought Sydney's friendship with Stan played by the 8 co-star was kind of the focus of the show and it's it's actually pretty good it was nice. yeah it was pretty heartwarming it's quite a, cute quite like, awkward yeah. sweet and comfortable chemistry you know mm. uh, I think Lilis is already quite quite a proven performer at, mm. at, at 18 I think yeah and she's, she's again really good here I think like the girl like Sophia Lillis herself is, is a star yes I think I, so too. I think she just needs to be used for better material uh. I agree and when she's given better material like in It or, or Greta and Hansel and she she really pulls it off uh. Mm. Uh, I think Olaf also has kind of the charm and comic timing of an ideal what's the word emo heartthrob uh, yeah, uh, uh, he, he pulls off like the self-deprecating wit and passion, love of music and a passion for vintage apparel, <laughs> like very like early two thousands uh yeah. teen show uh prototype. Yeah, well, yeah. She kind of brought that back. Yeah, I I can see that. I can yeah. see that. Um, but what was interesting to me is that this felt a lot more like sex education than it did, than it does with like yeah. end of the fucking world. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, it's very John John Hughesy, la, which mm. sex education is uh, yeah. very um, influenced by as well. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of the appealing aspect of it, and that's the thing that kept me hooked. But the supernatural or superpowered stuff isn't very well done. No. Uh, I just I almost wish this was just a regular teen show. Um, I would watch it if it was a regular teen show for sure. Yeah, then right. it could actually focus more on the emotions and mm. on the arcs and stuff. So a six out of ten for me. Yeah. Uh, I'm just gonna give it a five point five. Yeah. Okay. Six. Next is uh, Superman Red Sun. Oh, how did this go? Uh, I mean, you've, we've all read You know the story. Yeah. Uh, this is DC's latest animated film. Mm. Obviously, if you don't know, an adaptation of Mark Millar's uh, iconic Elseworlds story. What if? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it envisions a world where Carl L's rocket landed in Soviet Russia instead of the United States. Mm-hmm. The film does well to condense an epic tale spanning decades using Cold War history to probe the fundamental nature of nature versus mm-hmm. uh, nature. nature. Uh, namely, whether the man of steel is inherently good, or if his heroism is a byproduct of his Kansas values, which uh, he was raised with. Yeah. Um, indeed, much like the comic, the film recontextualizes a lot of DC characters like Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. Batman, Green Lantern, Lex Luthor, Louis Lane, and others. To so exp- wait, is Batman Russian? Yeah. yeah. Uh, like in the comic. Yeah, no. uh, to explore how one's ideals and beliefs are shaped by the imperfect politics that we grow mm-hmm. up with. Mm-hmm. Um, it isn't a black and white take but instead chooses to show both the good and bad sides of political systems that underpin America and the USSR like the comics like the comics yeah, which makes for a very morally complex deal yeah. uh, besides the politics the action and voice acting is also quite top notch okay. uh, making it a very fun watch uh, nice. on the downside the condensed nature of an animated movie being 90 minutes yeah. uh, removes a lot of the comics uh, new ones and deeper depths okay. uh, in favour of better pacing All right. so give and take lah, mm. for it be a movie all in all a really good adaptation 7 out of 10 not bad yeah what's next uh, do you guys watch Kingdom um, still on it I haven't finished it alright no worries yeah. season uh, 2 right you're talking season about season 2 yes yeah. uh, Korean zombies are back and uh, I'm not talking about the UFC fighter I mean okay I watched the first episode of season 2 and I think it kind of continues sure the interestingness of season 1 sure um, yeah, yeah um, Netflix you know brought, it's a critically acclaimed uh, Korean uh, period 
zombie drama. Yeah. Uh, and it was a really solid watch for season one. Yep. Uh, season two picks up right where season one left off with mm-hmm. uh, Crown Prince Lee Chang and yep. his battalion setting up camp to ward off the zombies. Yes. But now the zombies don't go to sleep the moment the sun is up. Nope. It turns out they were never afraid of daylight. They just don't like warmth. <laughs> and like Game of Thrones, winter has come. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the zombies are attacking all day. Yep. All day, uh, every day. So yes. <laughs> Everyone has pointed this out lah, but I just have to point it out too. Like this Game of Thrones thing, like winter came, zombies are here. Uh, and much like Game of Thrones, it's also a complex political drama about yes. corrupt politician mm-hmm. prospering at the expense of the poor. Mm-hmm. And season two is still mostly driven by the intrigue within the royal court, not so much by the zombies. Yep, like Game of Thrones, uh, as corrupt or power hungry ultra nationalistic members. Uh, scheme to use the outbreak for their own gain, mm-hmm. uh, done at the expense of the poor, as usual. You know, uh, so you follow that. It's a it's a fun watch. Kingdom doesn't quite reinvent the wheel when when it comes to medieval court intrigue or zombie dramas, uh, but it does the basics of both very well. Very well yeah. uh, season two has a very good grasp of character, fleshing mm-hmm. out both the heroes and the villains in nuanced ways, mm-hmm. uh, which in turn keeps us invested in places where the narrative does drag. Because at least we care about the people. Yeah. Um. It's nothing special. Action is good. Production design is gorgeous. Uh. Story is engaging. So check out the series if you have time. Lah. It's not great. Not bad. It's a seven out of ten too. All right. Yeah. 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 And it's a quick watch. It's six episodes. Yeah. You know. I'll be done by tonight. Lah. Correct. Uh. Next up, I'm gonna be talking about Guns Akimbo. <coughs> hey, this is the Daniel Radcliffe one. Yes, uh, set in the near future, mm-hmm. uh, this indie action movie proposes that the internet is obsessed with a real-life video game called Schism, uh, where random people are selected to fight to the death with actual weapons and vehicles. Uh, online troll and all-purpose slacker Miles, played by Daniel Radcliffe, enjoys the Schism matches, which is basically like watching popular Fortnite streamers, yeah. but with a higher real-world death count, like mm-hmm. Fortnite meets the UFC. Mm. Uh, he trolls the wrong live stream and a group of Legans arrive at his apartment, uh, brutally beats him and bolts guns to his hands yeah. and abducts him into the game. Again, Miles must fight for his life with guns bolted to his hands. Yeah. And he's informed that he's going to die unless he kills the current Schism champion, uh, the undefeatable Nyx played by Samara Weaving, who uh-huh. I really liked in Ready or Not, which I reviewed last year. It sounds fun, right? It does. Yeah, but it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I wanted to know. Because uh, uh, the trailer really looked fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, the film, ult- it ultimately fails to com- capitalize on its concept and yeah. it gets smothered by its very smug, abrasive tone. Ayo. Most of Guns Akimbo's dialogue squanders an, in- an intriguing idea through truly excruciating attempts at humor. Mm-hmm. It kind of oscillates between snipe comments and gay jokes and, and shock jock edgy one-liners. Mm. Uh, in one scene, the screen obsessed Miles. Yeah. You know, he's a, yeah, he yeah. only watches live stream, doesn't go outside. He remarks that the world looks so HD when he goes outside. So uh, that's, the, that's no. the kind of humor that we're dealing with. Cannot, I roll my eyes right that's, 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 that's it. Uh, that's like, oh, the height of wit. Oh, no. um, the, yeah. It, and the humor might actually have been tolerable if the film was at least imaginative. Yeah. Um, too much of Guns Akimbo consists of unremarkable car chases and really generic gunfights, so even the action isn't good. Oh no. So we watch a lot of people fire a lot of guns against a lot of concrete walls, and sometimes the movie deploys a hyperactive camera style that's zooming in and out, slow motion, fast forward. Uh, it has like this, um, what's that movie? Crank. It has a crank yeah, yeah, aesthetic. Yeah. Except it's not nearly as good as Crank, even. Crank had this whole like, a time limit kind of feeling Correct, yeah That they did really well Which is like a game, right? Yeah uh, and, and most of the flourishes Might even distract From the action choreography uh, mm. Sometimes obscuring it altogether So this movie is fucking terrible It's uh, too often Ayo. 
Uh, next, I'm going to review something that I kind of promised that I'll review last month. What is it? Uh, coming out of HBO Europe is a new show about time traveling Vikings uh, called <laughs> Foreigners. Yes, you, you told us about this. Yes, how yeah, how did it go? Uh, so get it, you know, uh, the title is a conflation of before and yeah. foreigners. Be foreigners. The series posits an unpresent uh, a situation where time traveling refugees from three eras: yeah. the Stone Age, the Viking Age, and the Victorian period have been mysteriously transported into modern day Oslo, Norway. No one knows how or why. So you fast forward five years later, mm-hmm. and the so-called foreigners are struggling to integrate into modern Norwegian society. Mm-hmm. And the weirdest of all, this whole thing is a police procedural. Yeah. Because sure, why not? Because every show has to be yeah. a police procedural. You are Satan, okay? Also, police procedural can. Lucifer. <laughs> um, because the show follows a woman who was formerly a shield maiden in the 11th century. Yeah. But has integrated by becoming a police detective. Makes sense. Uh. Sure. Uh, <laughs> she and her partner are drawn into a series of murders where uh-huh. the victims appear to be time displaced people. Uh-huh. Uh, and why would time displaced people be targeted? Well, because folks in the modern times are not too happy with their presence. They don't like these refugees that foreigners. come from modern, yeah, they're foreigners, foreigners. You know? So it's a uh, it it isn't just a, a murder mystery. It's also a metaphor for I guess the refugee crisis and the migration issues plaguing Europe. At I the guess. Uh, in order to support the allegory, uh, they had a refugee character speaking Old Norse. As well wow. as other languages, including their quote unquote Stone Age language, which they invented, lah. Yeah, lah, yeah, lah. Uh, and that would be a bit weird if they had. Like, correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and an older form of Norwegian from the 19th century. Uh, oh. Of course, the behavior and customs are very different, so it's an intriguing concept. But beyond the premise, it's a kind kind of a meh series. Ah, okay. Uh, the allegory is a bit on your head. Too on the nose. On the nose. A bit, yeah. a bit, a bit too heavy-handed. Uh, and the story and character is uh, fairly basic. Okay. Uh, not quite recommended. I feel I I've judged it to be not recommended. Okay. It's a four out of ten. Better or worse than Wellington Paranormal? Uh, when Wellington Paranormal is a seven or eight. I so can't remember what you gave it, lah. So yeah, that's Wellington Paranormal one of the one of the better series that we've ever reviewed. Okay. This is one of the worst series we've ever reviewed. La. I mean, police procedurals, ma. Better than Lucifer or worse than Lucifer? I kind of like Lucifer. Like then there we go. Yeah. This is not recommended. Yeah, I've never failed Wellington or, or Lucifer. It's always of it. Speaking of police procedures, are you going to watch Freud? Freud. Uh, is it genre? I mean, it's not. I'm just... Since we're on the topic of police procedures. Uh, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't I haven't know. watched it yet. Sure. I mean, why not, right? What, what's the premise of that show? Freud assists... Oh my god Okay 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 uh, Let's move on <laughs> yeah. You know how they always get Like the one guy Oh I'm a murder novelist Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I, okay, I, yeah. I, I study I, I study bones hmm. I know mentalist I'm, things I am a serial killer son Yeah uh, So we solve crimes For the police now Yeah uh, That is generally the But no uh, Maybe I'll watch for it I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious uh, Last I will be talking about On Quick Hits Is mm. uh, Amazing Stories Ah yes So every What amazing story Are you talking about Every streaming platform wants their own anthology genre show, like Twilight Zone, like Twilight Zone for CBS or Access, Black Mirror, Black Mirror for Netflix. You know, every everyone has their own uh, anthology show. And mm-hmm. Apple TV, that show is uh, Amazing Stories. It's a reboot of the 1985 sci-fi series of the same name, crea- created by Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. This new take on Amazing Stories is um, not amazing. <laughs> uh, I kind of quit after two episodes because the ones I watched were so bland and forgettable. Um, although like far from terrible, they're just meh. The biggest problem is that like CBS All Access's uh, recent mediocre Twilight Zone reboot, Amazing mm. Stories basically doubles the running time of its episodes no. from the original series. So these are hour-long episodes oh instead no. of the classic twenty-minute episode formats. Uh, so the series aren't just pedestrian, they are bloated and, and stretched unnecessarily. In fact, I might even have thought these episodes were good if it was just 20 minutes, you know. You get right to the, the meat of the story. Yeah lah. You know. Um, 
perhaps this anthology show should take a page from uh, Love, Death and Robots. Where which, short stories Which where... varies It's runtime According to how much Each episode yeah. needs If you need 50 minutes You get 50 minutes If, you know? if it needs 5 minutes it You get 5 minutes, minutes you know? yeah, yeah. So that's all you need You don't need to be an hour Just for the sake okay. of it you know? yeah, Especially yeah, yeah. when you're on A streaming platform Where you're unencumbered By oh I need to Be exactly 44 minutes Because I've got commercials Right mm. You know Why uh, So Amazing Stories uh, From the 2 episodes I watched It's a 4 out of 10 Oh Yeah so not recommended lah. Roger that uh, Next up Uh Aisa will be talking about uh, the Violet Evergarden Eternity and the Auto Memory Doll. Yes. Uh, it is a new Violet Evergarden movie, a side story, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, uh-huh. that's right. Uh, that it was screened in Singapore earlier this year at Golden Village, but it comes to Netflix tomorrow. So, what do you think of it? Oh, uh, okay. For fans of Violet Evergarden, which I still think is one of the most underrated anime um, out there. Out there, like hands down. The right? show is on Netflix itself too, right? Uh, yes, everything okay. is up on Netflix. Um, the whole season one is on Netflix as well as the OVA special, mm. right? So everything's up, and uh, with the inclusion of the movie tomorrow, that's the entirety of the franchise, mm. right? Uh, as you guys uh, may or may not remember, uh, big fan uh, reviewed this what two years ago or a year ago actually. Uh, and the a couple movie, of times during Anime Corner, you've brought up uh, Violet Evergarden. Yeah, just always, because always recommended. It's always recommended. Uh, and I think I gave it a really, really high score, like eight, eight and a half or something like that. Mm. Right. So, um, Violet Evergarden, uh, the side story, um, Eternity and the Auto Memory Doll, gives you more of the same stuff, right? And uh, again, we are dealing with um, how people cope with grief after monumental tragedy. Uh, but what is different this time around is that it's coming off the back of Kyoto Animation's own tragedy. Oh, the fire. The fire itself. Yeah. So apparently, um, it's been reported that this movie was done before the day before the attack happened. Oh, wow. And it is also, uh, the movie is also the first release to come out of the studio since then. Mm. Um, so I mean like It carries its own Real world weight In terms of that uh, Essentially uh, Violet is um, Continuing to do her job As an auto memory doll And in this particular story um, She Goes to visit uh, A A High school debutante girl Who okay. is uh, Sequestered In the school itself Due to the wishes Of her father Okay Right uh, it, And it's basically a story about the two of them uh, getting to know each other, and a strange form of uh, a strange form of trying trying to understand the sisterhood that exists between them mm. as women, uh, as well as kind of expanding on Violet's own relationship with her own um, crew of auto memory dolls. Yes, right. Um, extremely beautiful. The orchestral music that um, spans the sound the entire soundtrack is amazing, uh, and it's always been. Uh, but it is so amazing to see uh, this already extremely polished um, series, right? Um, fleshed out into like 90 minutes, mm. right? It does feel like two really long episodes oh, okay. um, because uh, originally it was supposed to be two OVA episodes. Right, so not quite a movie. Not like. quite a movie, right? It does have a few pacing problems because it was edited from... Uh, what was originally meant to be two episodes. I see. Uh, but it delivers more of the same. Okay. Uh, and I think here, what is kind of amazing um, is the fact that there is relatively little dialogue as okay. with the original series. Um, but they spent a lot more time in this movie um, on lingering on the facial... Emoting. Emoting. Okay. And for anime... 
yeah. that's really high level. Yeah. Like, I really, really have to say, like, the the sheer skill that involved in trying to make sympathetic human emotion show on the faces of animation is pretty mind-blowing. Right. Um, so all in all, I mean, like, I don't think I'll go too much into the story because there are a couple of, like, uh, twists and turns here. Surprises. That, yeah, surprises um, that uh, I think people should to watch and enjoy. But if you're a fan of Violet Evergarden, then you get 90 minutes of more of the same. Okay. Uh, it is um, is one of those instances where I think it really kind of draws out the fact that the writers of the... the uh, the writers of the the writer likes to allow us to go really in depth into individual characters that we will never see again, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and I think with ninety minutes this time around, you get even more of that, right? So really good. I'm gonna give it a seven point five just because of pacing issues, mm-hmm. uh, but very very beautiful. Soundtrack is amazing. Voice acting is amazing. Animation is some of the best stuff that's coming out of Japan right now okay. uh, easily like it's extremely detailed there wasn't ever a moment in time in the whole 90 minutes where there was a drop in animation quality mm. right which is a huge problem for the anime industry in general um, so yeah big up to Kyoto Animation for continuing to put out amazing stuff yes yeah hopefully uh, more and yeah um, just like a really really good watch very very moving I teared up a number of times yeah. from that itself so 7.5 for Violet Evergarden movie. Nice. Uh, and next up, uh, we have a little segment uh, every month now called Hardy Wood, where Hardy talks about a trashy action movie that we may or may not want to watch. Uh, this month, the title is Bloodshot. Uh, based on the comic. Based on the Valiant Universe superhero mm-hmm. Bloodshot, this time played by Vin Diesel. Uh, Valiant Universe's first attempt at creating a, a big budget action movie uh, and trying to kickstart a new cinematic universe. Um, how did that go, Hardy? Well, it could have gone well, right? Yeah. If they didn't give everything away in the fucking trailer. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. after you, if you watch the trailer, you basically watch the movie, lah. Yeah. You know. <sighs> Great twist in the middle. Yeah. Great, the one of the best twists I've ever. In seen. the trailer. But it's in the trailer. <laughs> so what you gonna do? What you gonna do? Right. Um. Vin Diesel does what Vin Diesel does, lah. Huh. Middling action, lah. Mm. I wouldn't say he's the best action star out there. No. no. He can't really fight the best. He no. can't really have the most. You know. He does Vin Diesel, lah. Um, man, it was such a waste. What a good uh, premise. Premise, mm-hmm. you know, and that idea of this Groundhog Day kind of like thing, like You know, you wake up, go and kill someone. Wake up, go kill someone. You know, different, and they keep replacing the faces with people they want uh, yeah. executed. Yeah. You could have left it. You know, oh man, they 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 just put it in the trailer, and you just it just ruined it. The trailer ruined the movie. Okay, mm. you want to explain the premise a bit for people? <laughs> so he's a super. He's a soldier. Yeah. He nanites inside of him. He has nanites inside of him. So he died, and this um, this company claimed uh, has his body and infused these futuristic nanites where uh, every wound that he receives will be repaired la. Yeah. A, a healing factor la. Yeah. Yeah. With nanites la. Yeah. Right. And these nanites can also go into like uh, this uh, what do you call it um, what's that word uh, overpower mode. You know, where he becomes even stronger and even more powerful and all that. Which also wasn't really explored much in this movie. You know? Um, after, because we know that the twist is coming, and when the twist does happen, it feels so flat. And there was nothing that really carried this movie. The acting was... Uh, Isa Gonzalez, I love her. Mm. She's a gorgeous woman. And, you know... Yeah, that's all uh, <laughs> I can say about the movie. Uh, you know, um, 
Yeah. I really Vin Diesel has this ability to just irk me. Hmm. You know, I like that he's a Dungeons and Dragons player. I like that he, you know, basically did the last witch hunter because he could. I mean, it was based on his D&D character, yeah. Yeah. you know. And uh, but I didn't understand why this movie was so meh except that the trailer really ruined it. It could have been a passing, a, pa- a passing action movie. To, to be with fair, a good twist. To be fair, Vin Diesel is overly concerned with looking like a badass. Yes. Uh, hence his wrestling uh, fans to call it fifty-fifty booking in in Fast and Furious, uh, where yeah. you put it in your contract that I can, like the Rock can only punch me the same amount, amount of times, of times that I can yeah. also punch you. You know, so it's uh, it makes for really dull, flat, unvulnerable characters. Invulnerable yeah. characters. Invulnerable, correct. Which, which makes it hard to root for because he's never in any danger the whole time. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he got shut down now because you know nanites, so yeah. they can shut down the nanites. He get shut down. Yeah, that's also about has, like it. a lot of like you know terrible dialogue and and questionable God cliches and, and weird accents. Is that is that guy really British? The hacker guy? Clearly not. Right, he's not right. Clearly, no, look, no. That was one of the questionable accents. That was so about. bad. It was the yeah. worst English accent I have ever heard in a while. Yeah. Wow, mm. it was just so wow. Like, why are you doing? Yeah, the one thing he had going for it was the element of surprise, which yes, he gave away. Yes, yeah. and that, yeah, it could have been a five. Yeah, it's a two. <laughs> yeah, it was a one. Yeah, there's no way that this movie. Oh my god, this movie sucks so bad. All right, and uh, that is for this. Don't watch it. Hollywood. No, sometimes Hollywood like the Hollywood movies, the Hobbs and Shaw, for example. Yeah, I like Hobbs and Shaw. The, the backdoor pilot for this whole segment. Yeah, uh, was a good movie. It was. Uh, to cap it off before we talk about uh state of cinema, uh, I would like to talk, spend five minutes to talk about uh, your police. The poo. Yes, I used to be a uh, police in uh, the police. Uh. Uh, the police. <laughs> uh, this month, I'll be talking about an indie comic that's mm. been out for a couple of years. It's still running. Mm. It's called uh, These Savage Shores. Um, T H E S E. These mm. Savage Shores. Um, it's from Vault Comics, and I've only recently got into it. And and I must say, it's it's one of the best things I've read in twenty twenty so far. It's written by a guy called Ram V And uh, with art by Sumit uh, Kumar uh, An Indian creative team from India mm-hmm. uh, D. Savage Shores is part historical fiction And part horror it's a, it's a vampire story Set amidst the British imperialism in India In the mid-1700s uh, It follows the East India Company As they seek to secure its future Along this lucrative um, silk route mm. Yes uh, So the story begins by establishing A ruling aristocratic class or group of vampires in England who exert influence over the military, the economy and, and the political matters in the empire. But when one of the vampires is caught eating one of his servants, the other vampires ship him off, exiling him to, to a ship bound for India. Because you know you just can't do this out in public. Like, you be eating people, you're going to be exposing us. But there are monsters in India as well, like demons and deities. I was like just going to say... Far more ancient than, than this Worst place va- to go that, Than this vampire mm. So this exiled vampire Is killed by an entity Called a, a Raksha Oh Monster uh, Yeah After yeah. attempting to feed On a local Indian girl uh, The English vampires Demand revenge And in the midst of all this We are also caught up In the political machinations Of various sultans And the British And the, and the Rakshas And also a personal quest Of a lone vampire hunter so it's a, it's a complex interweaving story la. Oh. Um, The subplots are all exciting And they brilliantly come together But most interesting for me Was that the story What, what it was trying to say about it Is East India Company um, Which is kind of the first They are the true evil co- Corporation of the world yeah. I think you know? A multinational company uh, The first ever mm. right Like mm. Which were extremely ruthless And powerful And, and vampires in the story Are kind of a metaphor For the so-called Civilization of the West 
Yeah. Um, they label the people in the east as, as savages, mm. uh, hence the savage, the savage shores. Uh, and and reflected back on it. In truth, right? It was like mostly it was the British who were the real savages, yeah. right? Uh, and it does a lot to reclaim the word savage. Mm. It reflects it back on those who truly deserve it, which are the British. So this is a post-colonial work, lah. Yes, yeah. Mm. Uh, set during you know 1700s British imperialism. So the British savagery is kind of uh, savagery is kind of disguised in the civilized uh, aristocracy. Yeah. But they're just as savage, or yeah. perhaps even more, more more savage, yeah. right? So it, it paints a vivid picture of how civilized savagery in the guise of imperialism destroyed and dehumanized people they colonized or, or places they colonized. Uh, what truly sets these savage shores apart is the artistry of his characters. Uh, Ramvi is a wonderful writer mm-hmm. uh, who is adept at one of the most important qualities for scripting in this medium, which is knowing when to lace um, heavy poetic flourishes and yeah. then when to back off and let the artwork carry the scene. Um, the artwork is beyond gorgeous and, and very versatile as well. Um, Kumar doesn't just have a great sense of dimension. The moods, the emotion, the tones are entirely set by him, not the writer. Yeah. Uh, for example, all the London scenes are at night. They're in fog. They're in darkness. India is always in the day. They're lush and warm and beautiful. Uh, that's no accident. And, and Kumar adds a lot of visual detail and metaphor to complement uh, Ramvi's rich prose to, to kind right. of uh, exude the fact that you know it's Britain that that's evil, not India. Not India. Yeah, yeah. Not, not not the traditional savages that they've been, they've mm. been painted as. So yeah, a very very good book. Still running now. It's a nine out of ten for me. Mm. Yep. I mean, it's quite interesting. Like uh, until now, you still have this kind of colonial. Um, Hangover, la. Mm. Yeah, I like that it's capitalized in a way of fantasy. From actual and Indian writers. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. Hmm. It's clearly like it means a lot to them, right? This isn't just a British writer or a, a white person trying to do a exotic story. Yes. Yeah. Know? Which is a lot of times it happens to be it that happens, way, la, yeah. You know. So a lot, like for example, monstrous. I like that it's actually written by, uh, drawn by a Japanese woman and an Asian American yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. writer, because you know all the East influences could easily felt like very. Just so exotic for the sake of exotic. You yeah. know? Mm. These are caricatures of our mysticism. Mm. But, but these people actually understand the mythology behind it and the people. And lived, and lived through that. And, yeah. and lived in and those areas. Story, like. yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. Like, yeah, yeah, who, yeah. Who, who know what it's like to be uh, living in a post-colonial society. Uh, so yeah, that's great. Um, mm. To cap it off, let's talk about movies, man. Yeah, what's up? Uh, movies out of cinemas into uh, digital right now. Mm. Universal has actually been... At the forefront of this, mm-hmm. uh, releasing uh, movies like The Hunt and and uh, which is not quite genre, uh, but you know The Invisible Man, for example, yeah. all on VOD immediately after the theatrical run. But it's because of the coronavirus. I mean, Singapore, for example, also locked down all their cinema. Correct. So, but now you can buy it on iTunes and stuff. Mm-hmm. So distributors, theatrical distributors, are very upset about this. Yeah, because it's their revenue, ma. It, it is their revenue, and especially they're taking away the revenue at a time when they might need it when they reopen, right? Because yeah. all cinemas are losing business. All. So, what do you think is going to happen for the future of theater going in general for us? You know, do you think that it's going to be become a thing of the past soon? Considering that, like, the coronavirus has kind of expedited uh, a trend that was already going in that I, direction. I, 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 I mean, to an extent, yeah. it will definitely diminish the. Theater cinema scene, la. Yeah. However, just like many, you know, like art forms like live theater, for example, mm-hmm. has outlasted plagues over the years, like You know, when people have to stop seeing them. Mm. But I feel, and I think that to an extent, it will continue, la. It is just a form of human uh, group um, activity that I doubt will disappear totally. Mm. 
But oh, I, do, you, do you think it might actually become more now that people have been cooped up for a long time? The second the theaters open, people be like, oh, let's go watch a movie together, etc. Maybe it needs. Yeah, to it be. really depends, lah. Yeah. yeah, I I think what make what the huge difference is right between uh, theater and cinema, yeah, right, as it exists today, is how much of an event yeah. it is, right? So like hits, we were talking about kind of like how superhero movies is an event. Mm. Right, going to watch superhero movies together is a event. Watch yeah. Star Wars, all that. That's correct. Yeah. But what about all of those movies? Right, they are not events. They are not events. Yeah, but this is thing. It's even something that could be on Netflix. Why not have it on Netflix? Yeah, but even then, there is a uh, uh, a a split between uh, indie movies that work better in a cinema than on a screen yeah, on a Netflix screen. So there's always that those movies that will always be. Made for cinema, unless you're saying that there are no more cinemas at all, then yeah, like, all movies will be made for the screen. Like. I think nobody's saying that. It's just that now, um, it has been a problem for a long time already. Where they're like declining sales. Like. Uh, for example, the year that uh Ladybird came out, mm. the same year that Avengers Endgame came out. Mm. Uh, Ladybird was supposed to have, I think, a three month run in cinemas. Uh, it got a solid one month run before anything big opened, and then it was just relegated to one screen per cinema in the US. Mm. Rather than you know, uh, and because Avengers Endgame took up the other like three hundred screens, screens yeah, yeah, per yeah. cinemaplex, uh, and it's that's the problem with independent cinema already, lah. Yeah. yeah, where they just don't have time. Uh, they they're just not being given the chance to succeed because the big movies, the big movies are out, over. and they're more likely to succeed. So yeah, it's in from a business sense, I get where the cinemaplexes are coming from. Yeah, but it's also a bit like you know, that I think that's the main problem that you know guys like Scorsese and James Cameron have with yeah. superhero movies. It's not. Artistry of it Is that they're taking away from Other smaller mid-budgets Or low-budgets But what to do right Is demand and supply right Sure yeah. And there's always a huge demand For this Marvel mo- I mean These superhero movies yeah. like. mm. There's nothing like it Ever in cinema history There has been Just never been this good Yeah N- This big yeah. Mm. yeah Yeah. I mean no other movie Has been this big one No other Marvel I'm not I guess uh, Endgame and Infinity War Infinity Biggest War movies Were the biggest movies ever, ever uh. yeah, yeah Eclipsed uh, Avatar recently Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, That one's technically uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A little <laughs> yeah. A little well, suspect though. <laughs> yeah. Well I mean Avatar is uh, of, of course inflation Is yeah. probably the big reason Why Endgame eclipsed Avatar But Avatar also cheated In the sense that It had three theoretical yeah. runs That's true Yeah, yeah. So it, it came out again And then and it came again. out again yeah. And it came out again And Endgame had one run yeah. And then a second run Yeah Yeah Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I feel the event thing is important. Like we do want to uh, group event kind of thing. Like why do we go to the cinema? Like a lot of people are gonna be answering that like in the next few months. Uh. Communal uh, do you want experience? that? Yeah, is it a communal? Because I go to the cinema alone all the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, we all do that when we you know got no time we go watch it alone yeah. and all that, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, it will be interesting lah to see where we will land, where the 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 the, the, the coin lands on this, mm. but. I would definitely, I, I would definitely agree that there will be an increase in the number of streamed movies, mm-hmm. the release where you don't have a theatrical release at all, mm. you know, um, and the industry will have to change la, mm, and adapt, yeah. which they have been doing in a, in a, to an extent la. Yeah, it's yeah. just that been enforced to adapt quicker, quicker now, la, because of this Because I already kind of saw this happening. A couple of years from now, yeah. yeah. But it's happening now, like, just because mm. they have no choice, like, and because they're experimenting a bit. And if the fear is that if Universal is realizes that they are successful with it, and they can then, make money, and they can make money, then why do we need the middleman? And man? to cut out the middleman, yeah. Yeah, because fifty percent of all 
returns go to the cinema. Yeah. Uh, so why do we keep 100% of it? Wow. Yeah. Um, I think like for big budget event stuff like your Star Wars and Marvel, the cinema will always be there. Yeah. I think people will want to watch it with a group. I mean, the interesting thing will be when studios start buying cineplexes lah. Correct. I mean, Netflix has their own lah. But exactly. primarily, that's only because of Oscar rules where they have to have they a schedule, right? Yeah. So like, yeah. if nobody wants to distribute us, we buy our own cinema, then we show it one time, then it's eligible lah. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think for others, like I think horror and comedy are also things that we want a communal experience for. Yeah, yeah. The fear of horror, things like quiet place and all, like the the quiet of the cinema cannot be replicated. Yeah, exactly. At home, right. or, or comedies, people want to laugh together. You know, so those. You want to hear that? You know? Yes, yeah. You want to hear it's that? It's a very visceral kind of uh, emotion, like human kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but at the same time, also things like I mean, for example, Annihilation, which was straight streaming, right? Which I thought would have greatly benefited from the sound and, mm, and the bigger screen, the yeah. things like that, That's what I'm trying to. I think cinemas will continue to do perfectly fine so long as the experience cannot be replicated. Mm. Yeah, much like theater, right? Yeah. So that's why I said like the movies made for screen, made movies made for the cinema, yep. all different things, lah. Yeah. yeah, and we have seen that Netflix has kind of perfected the movie made for. Screens, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. A lot of movie, Netflix movies. I mean, even though Annihilation is one of those that would benefit, tons of other movies like Adam Sandler movies. A lot of them, like, fit perfectly in Netflix. Sure, but Irishman would be great to watch on theater. On, on theaters, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know three hours is a bit long, to sit, but I've sat for three hours. Like, yeah, we have. We did Lord of the Rings, you know, for sure. nine hours. Yeah, we are good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the the fear is that movies like The Godfather and stuff will never get a theatrical release going forward, lah. Movies of that ilk, you know. Yeah. Like yeah. you know, they deserve to be seen on a big screen because they're just that good. Mm-hmm. But you know, the the modern Godfather, like The Irishman, will be on Netflix now, lah. Just limiting yeah. it to a more niche audience. Mm. Yeah. The Irishman is an interesting case, though. I felt that like The Irishman was like the death knell of gangster movies, though. It was mean. It was an a eulogy, yeah, for, a eulogy for the gangster genre, yeah. and Martin Scorsese intended it that way, yeah, Or exactly. at least his version of the gangster movie, la. So why? So that's why I thought it was kind of perfect. That was on Netflix, <laughs> like the new medium. Fair yeah. enough. You know, You're right? Yeah. There is a certain poetry yeah. to that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but that's about it, lah. I think it's things move forward. I would do love to see it on big screen, though. Of course, yeah. yeah. Same. Him. But because we don't live in New York or LA Where they would have screened it yeah. Then you know What are you going to do here What la? to go do uh, Unless the projector or something Decides uh, to do it Just like streams for a Netflix account <laughs> 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 it, it, it may very well end You can borrow my Netflix like account that. Yeah yeah. Right Because at the end uh, You're always going to have Like if we're talking about supply and demand You're always going to have the desire For like the big blockbuster movies in there Because the experience requires the big screen mm-hmm. It requires the great sound system It requires people there to cheer And kind of like Share the fandom, right? And yep. you're always going to have a, a bit, a lot smaller, right? Cinephiles who want to watch indie films sure. in cinemas. Yes. Right? And, and their cinemas going, built for that. And their cinemas built for yeah. that. And mm-hmm. I think like more and more, we're go- just going to kind of funnel into those experiences. Yeah. I, I, the main issue that everybody's talking about is that uh, it's that we can, they can never break out beyond that niche right now. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, those who want it will go out and look for it in the specialized cinemas. Yeah. In uh, specialized, nobody is going to go on Netflix and search for Mud Bound, for example. Correct. You know, although that movie deserves to be in cinemas, in cinemas they will have like random people like, oh, oh, uh, Endgame is sold out. Why don't we go watch this random movie called Mud Bound? Right? There's always a chance for that, right? Yeah. And it's just now everybody's just going to be in their little hole. Mm. I like I have this specific fandom. You have that fandom. The bubbles, lah. Yeah, bubbles. I know mm. nobody's going to cross over and watch like uh, Little Women, for example. Mm. You know that's sad, lah. Because you know Little Women's a great movie, and so is Ford v Ferrari, which in a different era would have been a major blockbuster because it's such a crowd pleaser. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but now it's that 
it's even more niche than indie movies because <laughs> it's in the middle right now. You know? yeah. It's the, that mid-budget, crowd-pleasing Hollywood movie that has no audience. Yeah, because everybody's on one extreme or the other. La. Yeah, so I mean, it's kind of sad. La. Like, it's the death of mid-budget movies too. La. All the 50 million dollar movies. Yeah. yeah right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and Marvel has the branding, la, so Marvel will survive. Yeah. Oh, yeah, la. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like seven clicks from now and, and when the polar ice caps have melted and Disney all, will there will still all. be a Marvel movie. It might be delayed a bit. La, yeah. But, you know, like Black Widow 7 will be coming out then, you know, or something. You know. Played by another actress. <laughs> Play Scarlet. Dude, Scarlet. Who, what, what do you mean? It's just going to be composite. It's just going to be like digitized. Oh, yeah, I forgot yeah. about that. La. Yeah, or like G- Scarlet Johansson at like 70 dh yeah. Oh Jesus Christ oh, Actually I wouldn't mind Watching a movie of her As an old secret agent uh, A bit of an aging It would, be, it would be dope Like a Helen Mirren car In Red 2 you know Oh god yeah That would be yeah. so great But I'm, I'm fancy booking Fantasy right booking uh, We'll be back next month yeah. um, Where Okay This is interesting Because I'm gonna We have no movies to watch mm. Everybody's watching at home I'm gonna split up You guys For each two series Sirai mm. Series um, One series that we'll be watching All together is My Hero Academia, mm-hmm. which will be coming to an end next month. early next month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we will all review My Hero Academia, right? Because mm. we're all into it. Yeah, I'm finishing already. You're finishing already? Yeah. Everybody's caught up? Yeah, caught so up. that'll be easy. So My Hero Academia is a shared review. So I've been wanting to do this for a long time. Me and Hardy are big fans of a guy called David Simon who, who created The Wire yeah. and Tremé and Generation yeah. Kill and yeah. blah, blah, blah. He has a new show out called The Plot Against America, mm. which posits an alternate history, which is totally genre. Uh, so me and Hadi Yeah um, First three episodes <gasps> out uh, And it's only six episodes So it's a quick watch okay. uh, So me and Hadi Will review the plot Against America Which posits Where Charles Lindbergh uh, Beat uh, Franklin Roosevelt In the 1940 election Made America Isolationist and fascist And anti-Semite uh, Very potent For today's world uh, And then for ISA I'm assigning A show called Devs D-E-V-S Oh right It's okay. a new show By Alex Garland Who yeah, made yeah. Uh, Annihilation and Oh I saw the trailer for that, so yeah, yeah. yeah uh, It's all about determinism uh, Nick Offerman Has uh, created A predictive algorithm yeah. Which basically uh, Confirms that Free will does not exist mm. uh, So that's a show About that uh, It's very slow And very thoughtful and More of a Intellectual Well it's Alex Garland la. You know <laughs> you know what you're getting la. <laughs> And then for Hardy, uh, I'm assigning you to watch Dispatches from Elsewhere. Okay. It's a new show from EMC about... I'm not going to spoil it. It's actually very... It will, it will blow your mind. It's very twee and whimsy. It feels okay. like a bit like Michelle Gondry meets... Okay. So it'll be, it'll be done by Nick's... Yeah. Uh, six episodes are out now. There's okay. only four episodes left. All right. Yeah. Very quick watch also. Uh, and then for Isa, uh, yep. Ghost in the Shell, SEC 2045. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Cool. Let's do it. So like two shows each and then one show we share. All right. And for quick hits, I'll be talking about B-Stars, which I think Aisa might yeah, jump I'll in as well. On that as well yeah. I'll talk about a new uh, show called Tales from the Loop, which is an, another mm. sci-fi anthology yeah. series. But interestingly, based on a series of paintings. Yes. Which is the first time I think paintings have ever been adapted into a show. Uh, I'll be talking about the final season of The Magicians. I'll be talking about a new show from the Adventure Time people called The Midnight Gospel, which will be coming yeah. on Netflix. Mm. I'll be talking about Letter for the King, which is a medieval young adult show on Netflix I started on that actually uh, we're talking about Vivarium which is an indie movie uh, Motherland Fort Salem which posits uh, that the Salem witch trials never happened and then witches are now running the US military uh, which is uh, <laughs> it's very interesting quite bad but very interesting uh, and then another show that I've always wanted to talk about I have never been able to mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to be talking about the last season of Brockmire Oh, because it's in the yeah, future because it's set in, uh, in a dystopian, dystopian future, future. Yeah, which yeah, is yeah. 
Sure. I mean, yeah. that fits, right? That fits. Yeah. This is like the Hobbs and Shaw kind of. <laughs> but this is actually, it fits better. Yes. Yeah. This is a dystopian future, the sci-fi technology everywhere. But it's still about a baseball announcer yeah, and his yeah, alcoholism. Yeah. Uh, we still don't like baseball, by the way. Sure. It's just yeah. Brock Myers good. Brock Myers is a great show. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, for the polis, I'll be talking about the Wayfarer series mm. by Becky Chambers. I always say Becky Lynch, Becky Chambers. Because uh, I just recently ordered it on Amazon and will be coming next week. So I'll probably be done through that and I'll be done. Uh, till next time uh, This is Hitzer Hadi Yeah I sir Yeah oh, oh by the way If anything severe happens Like we're locked down Or something We'll probably like We'll do it remotely We'll do it like on Zoom Or some shit Yeah right? mm, Most probably Yeah Hopefully it doesn't come to that But maybe there's a It chance. won't We'll do it live There's yeah. a chance Yeah, yeah. Alright <laughs> <laughs> Just do it live Just do it like Alright uh, Take care guys yeah, Bye bye bye